Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and it's not my fault the script isn't finished. I got this lackadaisical nature from my mom. I should get credit just for trying to work on the script. Sure, it's a half-ass effort, but everything is so much harder for me because reasons. And I'm Scott Daly, and... You're a good person, Matt. Thank you for being fair to me. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of phenomenal cosmic powers, total pieces of shit, part one of two, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week on the show, we are continuing our coverage of Arc 16 with chapters 1611, 1612, and 16Y. First, Victorian friends invade Shardland, which is basically just being forced to watch all your worst home movies over and over again while Lovecraftian horrors try to stab you with their hair. Vicky freaks out and punches a rock real hard until Teacher gets mad. Then, finally, it's part one of the long-awaited Amy interlude. And, uh, well, she's, she sucks. What the fuck were you even expecting at this point? <laughs> Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? Yeah, um... This is this is a wild, wild ride. And, you know, just to just to say it out loud, it's it's a bit unfortunate we didn't get to hit 12.y and 12.z sure, in sure. the same chapter. But if we had or in the same episode, but if we had done that today, that would be four chapters in one episode. And really, I think it's better for us to move it around so that we're doing three episodes, uh, three chapters today, three chapters next week and give everything the time it deserves yeah, um, yeah, that's correct. So 16.z will be next week along with presumably the first two chapters of Arc 17. Um, that's the way we're that's doing a, it. That sounds right to me, but it's, yeah. It's a little weird, but yeah. As far as these chapters go, um, man, Wildo's given us a lot to chew on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, these these two Victoria chapters are just this kaleidoscope, kaleidoscopic roller coaster of 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 symbols and imagery and things that we could just endlessly interpret and, and think about and talk about. And then of course, Amy's interlude is just this masterclass in diving into the psychology of someone who you just don't want to dive into the psychology of. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be one thing if like we could just skim through 11 and 12 real quick and then spend the entire time focusing on two Amy interludes, but we can't. Right. So like right. The, these two chapters still there's still so much going on about these chapters. I mean, it's the conclusion of the arc from our protagonist's perspective. So um, we haven't uh, we have we, we, we can't we can't just skin out, skim over this stuff. There's too much here. Uh, it, it It's frustrating. But I yeah. mean, it's like it's like like there's just I love having this much discuss. Right. Like. Right. It's an embarrassment of riches, really. Yeah, it's it's like if somebody brings you your dinner and there's just like three large ribeyes and you're just like, <laughs> wow, um, I, I'm, I don't know what to do with this. I mean, I'm going to do my best, but this is too much, actually. So yeah. that's where we are. So though. that's us. We're going to 
here we go. Let's let's chomp yeah, in. Tuck in, tuck it in. All right, let's get let's get into it. Um, I guess the fan art contest is basically over now. Is that if you are listening to this, it is yeah. over. If you are listening to this recording live, you have like four hours to go. Yeah. So good luck with that. <laughs> um. All right, let's get into these chapters. We are going to be um. We'll, we'll the vote will be up to our patrons soon for that um for the fan art contest. So we've got to compile all those, make the post. The vote will be up and. I'm, I, we might be able to announce the winner by this time next week. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Watch this space. All <laughs> right. 16.11. Yes. Let's we, do it. We begin with Damsel. Uh, Damsel uses her knowledge of the crystal landscape to heal and restore from save all the members of Breakthrough, including Byron, who is understandably confused. Victoria gradually becomes upset by the implications of all this stuff that's happening and Tattletail explains that they're operating more like a subroutine that's moving through the file system. They're not actually here. It's it's just perfect to me that Victoria's reaction to all this existential horror stuff is like, this is terrifying, and I don't I don't know what to do with any of this. Um, because like I think that that she out of everyone was always the person that didn't really get the multidimensional stuff, right? Yeah. Um, like she. <laughs> she's always been kind of like wait what is no, uh, my head um so it makes sense here that like she's dealing with this and of course she's the type of person that like the idea of existence and identity are these things that are so important to her that that it being a loose kind of concept in this world is, is something that's difficult to process that's true she already has issues with like being a a copy or a duplicate or or whatever and, and here she basically is some hologram or, or whatever made out of victoria records right? right i mean i mean it really is quite quite horrifying when you think it about is. it, it is. I, I love it, it. yeah um I, I mean i think my favorite thing is though is byron's reaction to this whole thing and if you just take a minute to like put yourself in byron's shoes what this whole experience would be like it's got to be crazy like as far as we understand he hasn't really been conscious since the whole teacher fight right like, I, I'm not sure what it looks like when he's phased out when he's in a coma. I, I, like, we have no idea. But let's just assume he's not been really awake. Right. Yeah. And then suddenly, suddenly you're thrust into this world. You're awake. You have no idea what's going on. You're staring at your brother. He's standing in front of you for the first time in years. And everyone's just like, oh, cool. We got everyone here now. Let's yeah. uh, let's go on with our goal. And you're like, wait, what? What? Yeah. Who? And, and by the way, our mission is to break reality. Yeah. Come on, keep up. Oh, yeah. And as soon as we finish with this whole thing, uh, you're going to go back to being in that coma. Uh-huh. Uh, so don't like don't get used to being awake again because nah. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is all character building for for Byron. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad we pulled that out because the, the, I mean, it's 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 great. It's funny. It's also terrifying. And mm-hmm. um, just to Matt, like, yeah, but Wildo gives us a, a minute, a minute with Byron to to make sure we realize how ridiculous his situation is. Yeah, yeah, but don't worry, Vista's uh, visiting him, so it's it's gonna be fine. Yeah, it's be fine. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Love it. So apparently, when they're in the shard computer, Sveta has access to all of her stolen memories, uh, more or less. She says. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this for a bit. I think we need to spend some time on this because there's pretty big, like inadvertent revelation that comes from here. Right. Yeah. And I think this kind of ties back to a few weeks ago when you and I were both kind of very confused about Sveta's mall trigger vision. Right. Something wasn't adding up there or 
as I thought at the time, we just were bad at reading and we got confused. Um, but that wasn't it, right? Um, yeah. So so if we look at it, there's there's this guy, Dimmy, and his sister, Nayette. And I, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, probably. But um, and it's pretty clear from the mall vision that the one that falls is our point of view character, right? Yep. But it's also very clear that our point of view character is not Nayette. And that's confusing because we knew that Sveta was her when we saw her in the interlude before, right? Right? Well, we thought we did, Scott. We thought we did, yeah. So, I mean, this is our big revelation, right? That that actually Sveta is a is a, a trans woman and this this metaphor that Sveta has been for for living with living with this uh Dysphoria, has kind of become yeah literal right yeah. it, it, it's become literal and i think that's very interesting and and i i, I want to talk to you about that for a bit because if we go back and I, I i'm sure everyone's done it i did it i went back and read the uh i went back and read the sveta interludes or what we thought were the sveta interludes um best which, which chapter i don't even remember what arc that yeah, was anymore I'm not sure either <laughs> we went back and read those um and it's clear that those actually aren't from sveta's point of view as we thought they were um then you go back and read the one the the trigger vision back earlier in this in this arc and that becomes obvious and everything kind of just slots into place and it's very interesting and yeah. i i, I want to talk to you about this not be, I, I love it. I love it. it, it it's it's an interesting, fun idea. And I love this idea that, that Wildbo has kind of been doing throughout these stories is taking this thing that is that is to us so clearly a metaphor, right? Like Sveta to me was so clearly a metaphor for the trans experience. Um, and and he's now taken that and made it. No, this is just it's not a metaphor anymore. This is literal. This is what Sveta was going through. This is why this was so important to her. And this is this is why she's feel so content in this body she has now. Um, but that's an interesting choice to do that, right? To take that, to remove that from the metaphor and take it to the literal. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to go into, right? Cause like m- once, once that all kind of clicked together for me, I was like, okay, well then, then other things begin to make sense. Like why she has this tentacle body. It's a manifestation of her extreme discomfort with the body she was born with it was almost mm-hmm. like her power was like oh you don't like your body yeah. here i help yeah and, exactly and gave her exactly. a tentacle body and and like that th- so that's all stuff where it's like wow that that works even better mm-hmm. it, like uh, and, and it and it connects more pieces together um before we move on from uh, something you just mentioned like the, the idea that the interlude i'm still a little bit up in the air as to whether that is a that is an interlude from Nyet's perspective and we're just watching Demi or whether that is just an interlude from a floaty pseudo third person perspective, because yeah. there's actually very little in that chapter. There's not zero, but there's very little that actually anchors you to Nyet's point of view. Um, so it could just be that, that while Bo was playing a, a trick on us the whole time, um, I'm not 100% sure of that because there is some evidence that it's Nyat's point of view, but it's it's not a it's not certain. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um and, and that's kind of that leads me into the other thing I wanted to talk to you about this, you know, the next question we ask every time we see anything in stories is why? Why do it this way, right? Because there is a version of the story where you just have Sveta um aware from the beginning and you just have the readers aware of, of Sveta from the beginning, aware that she's a trans woman. Um, and it, it, that that's just who she is. And we all know that. And there's no, 
mystery to be discovered here, but that's not the way the story went. And I think it's fun to kind of look at, well, why did we do it this way? Why did we kind of hide this for a while and then slowly reveal it to us? Why did we do what, what you're guessing might be like, might be a point of view fake out or just like a, a floaty point of view that we haven't seen before that seems to go against the rules of the interludes as mm, we know them, right. you know, wh- why do this? And I think, I think you had an interesting thought about this that I kind of wanted to explore because I really like your, your opinion on it. Okay. Um, Are you going to give it? <laughs> what was my opinion? Did I have an opinion? I just, I just think, I think you said something to the effect of, and you're right, this was a week ago. I should have, I should have <laughs> written this down. Um, but I think I think you, your your idea around this was basically the idea that because Sveta isn't aware of this or was not fully cognizant of of who she is, that masking it from us and masking it from her like allows ah. us to be along the ride with her and discover this with her and discover this part of her um, with her, um, which is very important to her journey as a, a human being in understanding who she is and and where she's going and, and her, her future in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that is, I, I remember saying that now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, so like if, if we had known this and Sveta didn't, that would be a different experience, right? Sure, like like sure. you would think of Sveta a certain way throughout this whole process. Whereas as, it, as, as it is now, we think of Sveta the way Sveta thinks of herself. We see her the way she sees herself yeah. And and so we learn this information when she learns this information and we feel basically the same way about it that she does. And that's absolutely the power of choosing to frame it this way from a, from a writing perspective. Um, and, and that's that was the thing that kind of clicked for me and, and made me think, OK, well, it, if, if if there was if there was one reason, you know, there's probably more than one reason why I was always doing yeah. multiple things at once. But if there was sure. one reason, I think it has something to do with um your state of understanding and, and your, your, uh, sort of, yeah, your, your sort of understanding about the situation and it evolving with the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Cool. I like that a lot. Um, I mean, I, it's, it's a really fascinating new understanding of our character. I think you're absolutely right that it, it allows us to understand who she is and, and so many different facets about who she is and what she's gone through on such a greater level. I'm, I'm glad we got here and I'm glad we get to now explore what this revelation is going to do for this character, where she's going to go from here. Um, if it's, I, I don't, I don't really think it's going to like change anything in her dramatically. Right. I think it's like, to me, it's going to, her reaction to it might be like our reaction to it, which is like, okay, I understand something a, a little bit more about myself now. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that gives me that equips me to better handle the the difficulties that are going to approach me in the future. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I, I think it's fascinating. I love it. I love that once again, you know, we've talked about these books being inclusive. Um, and I, I think it's cool that we have one of our, one of our main central characters is this, this wonderful, powerful trans woman that is a kind of a, a fan favorite amongst the readers. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I look forward to seeing, like you hinted at there where her character goes from here, you know, how, how she processes, how she processes it, how she integrates this new knowledge about her past into who she is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because like learning it is an interesting, um, interesting twist for us, but we still haven't actually seen what that information, uh, how she's going to integrate that information. 
Yeah, sure, sure. So. Yeah, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Yeah, me a too. Lot. Me too. Yeah. So that's Feta. <laughs> yep. That's great. It was a surprise. I did not see that coming. I I I, I was kind of happy when I saw it. Um, not just because it's an exciting revelation for the character, but I was like, oh, Matt, Matt and I aren't bad at reading. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. Uh, that it all makes sense now. That's why we were confused. Yeah, right. Because yeah. that was that was the one time where I was like, "Wow, I've never, I've never fucked up my my interpretation of what was happening in the scene so badly." But it turns yeah. out it was it was not in, it was not a hundred percent obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was great. Yeah. All right. Uh, so moving on from that, I, I wanted to talk to you about this one part where Victoria is like trying to read the crystals and understand what facets are pulling from what and and what the pattern is and she keeps noticing a pattern here but then there's like one or two instances that don't seem to fit in the pattern as she understands it and the writing here is really good where she says was the was the connective tissue between those things something to do with youth or my past with that sparring and bloody nose outliers being a moment i'd already forgotten where i reminisced about being young or studying was it a kind of education instead each thing connected by a theme of me learning things, learning things about myself. In that case, the photos and videos were some were a kind of study of my past self. The sparring exercise and bloody nose, something tangential to that, coming to terms. My life, facets of me, arranged by someone else's sorting system. And I find this really interesting from the perspective of, like, you and me. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so we've talked about the idea of Worm and Ward as, like, a metatextual commentary on the existence of story, right? I think Jay Maniac has been involved in, in creating those videos, and every time we bring this up, we have to reference his videos because they did such a fabulous job of outlining this. But mm-hmm. this idea that these, these books can be viewed as an examination of what story is. Um, and in that vein, the shard space and the crystal facets are kind of like a representation of analysis aren't they story analysis taking events from the long past events from the recent past events from current and attempting to construct an idea of who a character is based on that stuff and that's what we do that's what you and i do all the time and things don't always line up right like there's something that that um doesn't quite fit our pattern but kind of fits it and we kind of sometimes try to shove it in there yeah um it also made me think, uh, like, what would what would the character th- react to our analysis, right? Like, if if Victoria was reading what we we wrote about her or what we said about her, would she feel the same way? Would she be like, "Huh, this is uh, this is interesting," because like this is kind of me, but this thing doesn't make sense. Like, w- would that would that same reaction happen? I don't know. I think it's just fascinating from a metatextual perspective. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I. Uh, I'm glad you said that. And, and then I, I, from there say the, the crystal, uh, shard world is, uh, the subreddit <laughs> it, it, and, and every, every, the sections they move between that serve different functions are all different threads where someone has posted and said, this is my interpretation of what's going on here. And then other people comment and add their, their notes on, on that particular facet of the story. Uh, and, and then, so as they stumble through this landscape, they're seeing a bunch of different lenses, you know, re- refracting one particular element of of the story of what's happening in, you know, the real world, which is the story, um, the text rather than the meta text. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm in love with this interpretation now. <laughs> it's really great, isn't it? I really like it. Yeah. I'm wondering how far we can push it uh, as as we go. Oh, let's just do it. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Let's just push it as far as All we can go. Yeah, that's fun. Um, yeah, so I just love this bit where she sees herself uh, wishing 
uh, blowing out her birthday candle. And the text says, I wish I was a superhero. I knew the wish because I'd made the same one every year. Oh, my God. It's It's great. It's so great. And like we have to talk about like from a high level perspective what these chapters are doing. Right. Because we're basically taking our characters and we're throwing them in. I I joked at the beginning about like they're watching all their worst home movies. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of what it is. It's like it's like here you're going through this terrible stuff. And here's here's everything that you've ever experienced thrown back at you. But from like the least, maybe not the least charitable, but from some very uncharitable angles, right? We're going to show you and again and again throughout the shard space, that's what's happening. We're going to show you uh, here's this moment and it's going to be not designed, but just so happens to show a moment that doesn't make you feel good about yourself or here's this or here's this. And and the shard space is just throwing these things at these characters. It's kind of like if we look at it as like, a path on the way to recovery is having to dive deep into your trauma and really look at it straight on. It's it's going to throw the worst moments of your life back at you. Like you can kind of see this as like a, a last desperate attempt towards recovery of like pushing, of, of forcing you to backslide or forcing you to, re- to see these things and, and t- like make them part of you, make these facets a part of you. Right. I mean, we don't know exactly the nature of this place, but we can assume that, this is essentially the machine that kind of made them that kind of either gave them or took advantage of their trauma in the first place. Um, and, and it's, it's what gives them their powers, right? It's like, it's stitched deeply into all of the stuff that they're struggling with. It knows all of their buttons to push. And we see throughout these chapters that it's pretty good at pushing those buttons too. And what's funny is it's not even trying to, it's just, yeah, that's what it's made of. Yeah. I like that a lot that, that, you know, there's nothing from based on understanding. There's nothing here that is like planning to do this, right? It is mm-hmm. not, it is not choosing to show what, when it is just the normal operation of this supercomputer just happens to be doing that. And of course you know, we have a, a supercomputer above this supercomputer, which is our author that is choosing to show these images, right? So yeah. we can still analyze what is being shown to our characters when as a part of, you know, thematic resonance of what they're going through. But yeah, from, from the, the textual level, this is all just just regular operating procedures. Right. I mean, it's also interesting to consider the metaphor of the the crystal land as Wildbo's brain, but Sure. Um, sure. I mean, heck, let's do it. Let's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's a place where as as they move through it, it invokes different facets of their existence as he has contrived it to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and, and that's kind of one I, I like once again, I mean, I have to I have to give props to this this way that he's used the science fiction grounding of things to really make the metaphor work better, at, at least for me. Like that's that's what I think is fun about it is he doesn't spend much time explaining it, but he he does explain like, OK, this is basically just a big computer. You're not actually walking on the surface of it. You're more like a program that's moving through it. And as you move through the different subsystems of this big mainframe, you're, you're, you're activating different, you know, memory stores of, and and the different memory stores are organized by, well, that's what we're trying to figure out, right? They're organized by, by different sort of um, ideas. Sure. And and so that's, that's why they're seeing them, right? It's, yeah, it's, um, it's not, it, it's like it's it, it, make, it makes sense. It's not just like, oh, it's, it's 
It's crazy. They're wandering around. There's crystals, and the crystals show them images. It's isn't that isn't that weird? It's like no, it's 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 the science fiction nature of why this place exists and why it's set up this way. And I think yeah. that's awesome. And I get that, and I and I I definitely like that for you. I don't <laughs> I don't need that as much. Like I don't need the the science fiction rationale. I'm fine with the abstract nothingness of this place <laughs> and like and like it's just gonna show random fucking crazy things and there's crazy shit going on and it's cosmic horror to a point we've never seen but I, I agree that there's a lot of people that look towards that and i agree that 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 is one of the strengths of wild Bo's writing is that he likes to take these very abstract high level concepts and really you know examine them and drill down into them until he finds a, a reason for it um a, a firm reason and rules around it and that that does help i think construct the world better um yeah i mean i think it's fundamental to how he approaches things honestly sure across different stories too because like it's pretty easy to just sit down and just try to write something creepy and lovecraftian like it's it's really not that hard to just like you kind of know what tone you're going for you know what kinds of buttons you can push in the human psyche Sure. That's not the hard part. The hard part is doing it in a way where it feels like it's built into your universe and you haven't like broken the consistency of your world by incorporating it, incorporating it into your story. And that's what he's managed to do here. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think in this instance, this is the one place where he could get away with mm-hmm. just doing what I mean. They're in they're in this mystical shard land where nobody. The, what are the rules? What are, this is yeah. this is not earth as we know it this is not existence as we know it so this is the one place where he really didn't have to do that i think could or at least could have gotten away with not doing that um but his commitment to it certainly is commendable yeah i I agree that that he could have gotten away with it yeah yeah so yeah speaking of kind of the nature of this place damsel explains the trick behind navigating uh the trick is that there is no trick all of these versions of ourselves hurt crying laughing young present day costumed they exist simultaneously. You choose the face you want to present. <laughs> um, themes. Uh, um, themes. <laughs> yeah. Victoria <laughs> yeah. later introspects about this a bit, and she considers that that she doesn't really feel like she's quite herself, uh, or maybe not her whole self. Uh, and like she she thinks back to the fact that she doesn't really feel anything about the fact that they've murdered Cradle, for example. Yeah, and this uh, I think this is really important because it ties back to the conversation that Victoria had with Rain way back in Arc 12 while while spying on Cradle's base. Um, this idea that, look, you're going to feel good when bad things happen to bad people. That's normal. You shouldn't worry about that. The problem is you should feel a little bad, too. You should feel a little bad about the thing you're having to do. That was Victoria's whole thing. And when you start when you stop feeling shitty or you get used to it. That's what you need to start watching out for. And I think this is a specific callback to that, because I think what we're seeing here is that all she feels is kind of relieved and good about it. She's mm-hmm. not feeling the shitty part. Um, so this is this is maybe a callback to a moment of, hey, Victoria, you need to you need to start watching out for your behavior here. And I mean, I don't know. Do you think she's cognizant of that? I mean, she's she's acknowledging it. She's saying, I don't quite feel like myself, but I don't know if it's halting or changing her behavior i don't know i feel like she is i feel like for the last several arcs she's been uh what what is it over her skids i'm not sure what the right expression is but like just because she notices these things i've sort of lost my uh, uh trust that that means she's going to sit back and <laughs> fix that problem yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- I think by the end of the next chapter, we're going to see that 
like, I mean, that the end of this of chapter 12 is her like just charging forward recklessly into nothing she understands. Yeah. Um, and yeah. not hesitating at all. Right. I mean, so, yeah, there's all right in the next chapter. There's all this, this like dark, anxious, panicky emotion that she doesn't understand. And and she's not really able to get a handle on it at any point. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that when we get there, though. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah, I'm glad you pulled that brain conversation out um, because I I'd sort of forgotten about that. And that definitely plugs in really nicely here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so. They eventually guess that the staccato lightning that occasionally jumps away from them uh, and off through the crystal into the distance might indicate a connection between them and their agent um, or um, the program that manifests their agent or whatever. Um, (laughs) Ashley's agent is actually within sight uh, and it's a big burning torch in the distance, tall and ladder-like. Hey, you want to read into that image? I think we should. Um... Uh, you gotta keep climbing <laughs> i don't know well i mean like the whole thing was ascension right like yeah yeah like she wanted to ascend so her 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 agent literally being a thing that allows you to ascend oh. and climb allows you to climb but but like i mean i can't i can't help i can't escape the image of like you you have to keep climbing because it's burning behind you mm-hmm. like 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 yes it allows you to climb but it kind of forces you to climb it kind of doesn't let you stop climbing sure and if sure. you stop yeah, climbing a- then you'll fall and a ladder on fire is a perfect Ashley image. I actually think that's perfect. Yeah, that's, yeah, I that's love amazing. That. Yeah. And, and which is funny because he doesn't say it's literally a ladder. It's just ladder like, which gives you a certain mental image. But that's that's enough for us to work with. Yeah. Yep. So they pass through a certain region of the crystal that shows them their past or their origins, perhaps. Chicken sees his mom. Tattletail sees her trigger. Capricorn sees old teammates. Sveta, her village and the KCC3s. Kinsey, a chat room, interestingly. There's all kinds of things in here where I'm just like, okay. Yeah, we could spend an hour on this. Spend an hour on this. It's just a, a throwaway thing. Um, uh-huh. And then Victoria gets a shot of Dean, uh, who is usually blotted out with black distortion, revealing that he got his powers from a vial. Yeah. I d- wow. Um, so this is like, this is the bomb under the table that we were waiting to go off for a while, right? We knew Dean was a, was a cauldron cape. We knew Victoria did not know Dean was a cauldron cape. And we were kind of waiting for this to happen because it was maybe going to be one of the things that shocks him off that pedestal she's put him on. Um, and this is like the worst possible time for that to happen, which is yeah. classic Wild Bo. Right. Because she, she's about to lose all of her faith in everybody. And this is one of the major. You know, this is her pillar of at least there was one person who never let me down. Yep. And that's basically been cut out from under her. The so. first the first big old domino. Right. Yeah. And, and and later in the chapter, she'll say, why did the list of people I could absolutely trust or look on with fondness seem to grow so short, especially when those people went and died on me? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's like I love how there's not any. She's like, I totally understand why he'd be in Cauldron. I get that. I just mad that he didn't tell me about it. Yeah. And then he lied. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's, it I mean, it's understandable that she'd be hurt. Right. Sure. It's, it's also, it's also like, I don't know. It's, it's uh, that's a whole complicated thing. I like, there. I like, I like the implication that he had to make up a trigger event. Right. And therefore like, that's like almost the worst amount, worst betrayal he could have done there because he made up a trauma. Yeah. And 
and and told it to her and that's like and i get i get this idea that like you're kind of like a poser right like you're you're in a group of people who have gone through some of the worst trauma ever and you make up your own story um i, I watched a movie at the, the festival i was at the last weekend where this guy was um joining a, a support group for people who like had something messed up happen to their face and he like taped his face and then hid it behind cloth to make his face look messed up so he could be in the group. And it was this like horrible betrayal of, of the confidence and the care of all these people. And that's kind of a similar thing. If you're, if you're making up a trigger event and saying, here's this really, really bad thing that happened to me. Um, that's why I'm in your club now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, interesting. It, it is interesting. I mean, so, so I like that. It's not just the, f- it's not the fact of the lie. It's the possibility of the lie, be- which makes it even worse somehow because she, she thinks she doesn't think, um, Oh, he, he definitely made up his trigger event. She thinks something like now I couldn't, I couldn't even know if that had really happened because it's possible right. that the story he told really happened. Right. That just wasn't a trigger event. Yeah. And that I think just, there's something, yeah, <laughs> I think something we see from Cauldron Capes in general is just because they didn't have a trigger event in the traditional sense. doesn't mean that they didn't have a life filled with trauma. Right. It, yeah. it, she is jumping to a lot of conclusions here. Right. Just, but, and the thing that surprised me is like, she immediately goes to it. Right. Yeah. Like she sees Dean and before we've even realized what the, maybe what the kind of graying out shadowiness means, she's already caught up to it and is like, how come you didn't tell me it's happened so fast? Yeah, right. The text basically doesn't, doesn't actually tell us what she saw. She just kind of knows it. Mm-hmm. Um, that almost makes me wonder if it's meant to just be like, this is just the abstract knowledge of this fact beaming into Victoria's brain. It doesn't really matter what she sees. Yeah. I mean, we have to, uh, yeah, we have to, <laughs> every one of these images is based on an interpretation and understanding. And we'll get into that even more when it starts literally being images that are created by Tattletales right. shard. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think there is a certain extent to where this is a reflection of how we view something, not necessarily a ref- reflection yeah. of it as absolute fact. Yeah. But just um, to close off that thought, like, like he, he's, he's gone. She'll never get closure on this. She'll never know if he was, communicating some earnest painful thing that happened to him or just completely bullshitting and that's like worse than if she did know that he was bullshitting yeah so yeah you're right i mean that's that's what death really serves as is a lack of of a lack of connection a lack of being able to get that kind of closure right yeah yeah so uh, before we move on from this, there is something that really jumped out at me because there's so much going on in the detail of all these visions that are happening st- to the point where we can't point them all out. But but I, I did want to point out the ones that really struck me as very, very interesting, because as we're seeing these images of Dean, we're also flashing, flashing back and forth to these images of her uncle, her aunt and, and their kids. And we'll talk about Uncle Neil a little bit more in the next chapter, Matt. But we see that Crystal is with them in each of these images, except well, she kind of is because in the first one we see um, then Eric and Sarah and Uncle Neil with Crystal out of focus. And then once again, we flash back to them and they're at a, uh, like a pool party and Crystal is at the pool, too, but only visible as shadows as she swam underwater. So in both these instances where she's seeing images of Crystal, she doesn't really see Crystal. And I don't I, I haven't like come to a conclusion about this, but I think this is one of those things that jumps out of you as like subtly drawing our attention to this thing as as a payoff that's going to come later i don't know for what reason but it really jumped out of me especially on my second read yes i I think this is one of those things where it got my wheels turning thinking about how early in the story crystal 
came into play as a character. And like that, that to me is always a little bit of a, a, a certain kind of foreshadowing. Like if you're going to, if you're going to have someone become important surprisingly, then it helps if they were at least there from the beginning. Sure. Um, and, and I like that, you know, we've, we've seen Wild Bo loves to play with light imagery and I like the idea that she's out of focus in one. She's underwater in one. It was like, these are both different, interesting ways of portraying like distortion, visual light sure. distortion. Um, and yeah, I don't know what it means. I have no idea what it means, but I, <laughs> I, I do agree with you that it probably means something. And it, it might, it like the, <laughs> so like, so like uh, the most kind of un bombshell thing it could mean would just be like, Oh, like, um, she didn't have her powers yet in these images and, and it doesn't really care about people who don't have powers. Yeah, that it's could like, be. It's like, I, that could be it. I kind of think it's mm-hmm. more than that, but that could be it. Sure. Yeah. So cool. Uh, the crystal stuff is, is interesting though. Yeah. Let's uh, just, yeah. Uh, let's pay attention to that. Cause I think, I think that is going to come back in some way in the future. Yeah. So we also revisit Ashley's past. So I think oh boy. I think a lot of what's happening in this little section is about shattering illusions or maybe revealing truths because Victoria and, and also Kenzie here get to see Ashley at her worst. Uh-huh. And Damsel makes sure to clarify that although she knows now that Jay was indeed the jewel of Boston, um, a, a villain working for uh, Accord, uh, at the time she did not. At the time she just thought he was a boy that she was maybe in love with uh, and killed him. And Victoria, th- uh, Victoria thinks that this is the region where people we loved dwelt. Um, maybe she's right. It seems to me more like it's the realm of terrible betrayals by people that we loved. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I think really terrible betrayal only comes from a person that you love, right? Just like yeah. if you don't care about someone that deeply, you can't be betrayed by them. Um, but I mean, I love this section. I love this so much. And I think this is kind of this is kind of answering a question that's been open. Like, was Ashley right about Jay? And I think you and I even said at the time that it doesn't matter. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter whether she was right or not, because regardless of whether she was right or not, she made the choice of being uncertain about it. And that says something about her regardless. Um, And that's basically what what Ashley is arguing here that, yeah, I was right, but I'm I wasn't sure about that and did this anyway look how terrible i am (laughs) yeah yeah exactly i mean that's that's perfect yeah and and damsel in her desperate attempt to paint swan song as not all that great makes makes that connection right Mm -hmm. the ashley that you loved victoria kenzie uh is the same ashley that did this we did this we made that choice we're no different from each other like which of course is technically true, right? Like Swan Song is the same person that made that choice, but but that doesn't matter. Like because she's grown beyond that. Like that's the difference between Damsel and Swan Song, between Rain and Cradle, and and in some ways even between Victoria and Amy. It's not what you did; it's what you do now. And I think Jessica makes that explicit in in the the first of our our two Amy chapters, right? That um that what matters is, is how you take that information and how you grow and change as a person. You, you can sit here and try to say that the Ashley that you liked was this person, but you can't convince Kenzie that Swan song is a piece of shit now because of a thing she did then. Like she, she ascended from that person. She is not that same person. She has grown beyond that person. Um, 
and damsel knows that and so like I, to me this whole thing like red rang hollow it's like it's not working it's not working damsel yeah this is one of the many points uh where in these chapters damsel's trying to poke at them and is not getting the reaction that she wants yeah and and right here like it's definitely sad for kenzie to see but she kind of kn- sure. she kind of knew about this already maybe not in the full the full details of it but it's it isn't enough to to really kind of destroy her faith in swan song which yeah. is what damsel wants it to do and well, yeah and the interesting thing about I think that is definitely what damsel is trying to do but there's another interpretation on this that I kind of like because as much as this is her trying to connect swan song back to that terrible version of herself to prove how terrible she is um how much of this is also damsel desperately trying to prove that she is the same person as swan song to prove that she is worthy because she is that same person. Cause we have the same past. Right. Um, yeah, I, I love that too. Like this desperate attempt to link them, not to bring down swan song, but to try to elevate herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that idea. That's, that's great. Um, Yeah. So there's just I just like this quick part here where like Damsel has just done her worst to Kenzie and Kenzie's response is, I think you're great, Damsel. You're stylish and beautiful and intimidating and badass and awesome. And you're a kick ass villain who's only going to kick more ass as time goes on. And Damsel asked, that's all Kenzie said as she smiled at Damsel. Damsel, for her part, smiled back. And here I thought you'd be clever. I love this because. As Victoria points out immediately, she is being clever. She just played you. She just absolutely played you and you fell right into it. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah, the, it, it's a really great moment. I mean, it's also cool because it shows um, Victoria does not have to step in here. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah m- you're right. M- maybe she steps in in the sense that she's present, but Kenzie handles this like very easily and deftly. She just she knows she knows Ashley well enough that she just knows she can get away she can just diffuse the situation this easily. Yeah, and, I think you're right. I didn't, that, I didn't think cool. it that way, but that is a, a point for Kenzie is just being able to do that. She's smart, capable, and she is clever. And she knows that, that, uh, Victoria damsel is seeing through Victoria's attempts to placate her, but coming from Kenzie, it has a different, it has a different meaning, a different power to it. And it works immediately. That's true. Cause, cause Victoria, cause Victoria is less like Victoria is a little bit too, she doesn't have exactly the right approach. Mm-hmm. There's a few times in this chapter where there's a few times in this arc, actually, where Damsel is like, ah, you're buttering me up. And like she's aware she's aware that, that Victoria is buttering her up somehow. Yeah. Somehow the way Kenzie does it, it just comes off as earnest. Well, because I think it kind of is yeah. like I think she I don't think she's lying. Here. Right. I don't think she anything Kenzie just said is not nothing. She doesn't believe. Yeah. But she's doing it with purpose. She's doing it. She has. A plan behind it. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. So Victoria experiments with getting more in tune with the landscape. She makes her way to an incline that overlooks a white crack in the landscape being worked on by teacher's thralls and three agents working to prompt a cascade of connections. Man, I love this. Like we've been talking so much about connection and, you know, community throughout this entire book. And then we have this moment here where teacher who is very clearly trying to connect to this whole shard world up together and the way it's written makes that seem terrifying. This thing that we called objectively good when it's people trying to connect and find each other. This is like the bastardized, terrible version of it. And it's terrifying, right? 
like the lighting here, I watched as light flickered, dancing across the landscape, across the sky, and to the great black fissure. Stuttering lights connected to everything nearby like a blinding flash of lightning utterly silent that left ghostly images of planet-sized monstrosities dancing amid the spots in my eyes. It's beautifully ominous writing there. Um, yeah. And again, using the using light imagery at, in a negative way, right? Um, mm. Something we'd normally see as positive is is kind of turned on its head here. This is this is this is blinding light. It's overpowering light. It's beautiful in its in its horror. Yeah, um, I love it. Right, and the, the light the light is literally communication between alien uh, monsters. Yes, so. yes, yeah. yeah, that's great. You, you took it. Yeah, that's perfect. I yeah. like that. All right, moving on to 16.12. Um, so we, we more or less begin with, this world was like a broken window. The landscape cracked, and the fact the light didn't travel to where it needed to go served as a, as a suggestion of just how broken it was. That just continues on the last chapter's beautiful imagery, right? Yeah. The world was like a broken window. The landscape cracked. Yeah. It's poetic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, we, we did basically just say this, but th- this idea that we've played with light imagery so much here. And, and yet again, we have this refractive, um, basically light conductive crystal substrate that, that the light is moving through. Yep. Um, and it's red, of course, which we've mentioned many times, but mm-hmm. got our color game going still. Absolutely. So Tattletale observes that the light travels from the thralls into the distance, uh, which suggests where a teacher might be located. The team can't get over there, though. The crystal landscape is shattered, and that means they can't get between places physically. Uh, as programs themselves, they can't travel between disconnected regions of the substrate. Sure. That's my take anyway. Computers. Bleep, bleep, bloop, bloop. Yes. Um, from a purely structural writing standpoint, I really appreciate what the book is doing here early in this chapter. One of the things I was worried about, and I think I mentioned it last week, was um, that these chapters would get so abstract and enormous that they would start to maybe feel aimless, like you kind of lose the, the thread a little bit here. But this is the beginning of our final chapter, non-interlude chapter of this arc, and Wildbo sets the goal clearly here. We think teacher's over there, we want to get over there, but we can't get over there, so now we've got to do something that gets us over there. Like, this is, uh, th- these chapters are huge and, and cosmic and almost beyond comprehension, but here we've refocused the plot, right? We, we've gone down to just, just plot momentum is like goal solutions go and so we can do all this deeper thematic meaning and and cosmic horror stuff uh on top of our our main thrusts forward into accomplishing goal and i I think it's 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 a great way to recenter yourself into the final chapter where things are about to get like really weird um it's really good i like it yeah, right. I mean, it, it's interesting. I think Welbo knows when when he needs to keep things simple, right? And we're keeping things with all of the craziness that's surrounding this. We're actually keeping it pretty simple. We need to find teacher. Okay, we have some clue as to where teacher is. How are we going to go about that? And then they begin to you know think think through the problem solving element of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Victoria begins to be overwhelmed by frustration and an uncharacteristic panic a feeling of paralysis. She considers why this could be happening and she decides that it's internal. It's coming from her. Uh, and she basically just continues to physically react to this panic for several minutes and not really sure that we ever really kind of unlock what, what happened, what, what is happening, where this is coming from. No, no. I, I mean, I, I love this as just Victoria, the girl who wants to punch 
her problems away, mm-hmm. who loves these physical, tangible solutions to physical, tangible problems. And the situation she's in has none of those by design. Like the, this isn't real, right? This is a construct. So like the odds that you're going to be able to punch your way out of this problem, which actually by the end of it, she literally does that. Right. But um, <laughs> the idea that you're going to be able to punch yourself out of this problem seems less likely here. And I like this as like this, this feeling of complete powerlessness in this situation that sends her spiraling. And it's not specifically attached to any of her previous triggers, right? It's not attached to Amy. It's not attached to crawler and, and the acid. It's not attached to her parents. It's just this, this overwhelming feeling of hopelessness. That's so abrupt that her first reaction is to look around and make sure that no one's powers are being used on her. Um, but she finds of course that it is coming from within uh-huh. um, and and she recognizes that and, and she recognizes that it's coming from inside her and she starts to try to deal with it almost immediately. Like like she's not doing very well. As you said, she's kind of begging for Tattletail to distract her as Tattletail starts to outline what she thinks is going on here and outlining the plan. But she's dealing as best she can because this, this recognition of this is coming from with, with within me and I, I need to deal with this. And I'm only saying this because I'm I'm trying to set up something that I'm going to pay off in the next chapter, um, which we could call from without. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I that was kind of my only guess as to what was going on with her was like she's finally feeling the I don't know the frustration of not having her powers and being in a situation yeah. where she needs them. Whereas like before she just kind of threw herself into the fight with, um, grasping self. Now she's, she can't, she can't do that. That's not an option. She can't fight 50 people. Um, she knows that. And, and so she just begins to feel this, this panic, this feeling of, of, I can't do anything about this. That was my sure. guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But literal and metaphorical powerlessness are, yeah. Adding up. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and then Tattletale says, um, I'm just going to read this. Uh, Matt was right about everything. The shard world is all about communication and powers which permit or operate through inter shard communication are the ones that are going to be most useful here. Good job, Matt. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, and then they say Darling is basically serving as their local hub, which is why they're all able to kind of be together. So in order to physically get the teacher, They'll need some kind of link to him via powers. Yeah, it's really kind of amazing how, like, just very uncharacteristically, Lisa just broke the fourth wall and complimented you specifically and nobody else. Really wild. I, I mean, we were talking about the metatextual relationship of this book, but I didn't realize just how far it went. It's crazy. I know. I mean, here I am metatextually changing the text in our discussion. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And you, the great thing, I, I, I love. I love, I love about it is, is, you know, you're just, you're just so humble. You're just so humble about it. It's great. Yeah. I mean, no, that was yeah. in all seriousness, well done. I think that was, you did basically perfectly outline how this whole thing works. So, well, um, the way this usually goes is that this is about when Wild Bo says like, no, actually, no, <laughs> no, I that, think, I think you're good. I think okay, you're good. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right that, that we've also established, I, I love this idea of like, we're all here in this world, but we're not connected to each other. So we're going to need to connect to him in some way. And the only way to do that is through powers. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. Uh, yep. So, um, yeah. So, so I love during this, I, I just want to point this out cause it's fun. And um, during this rain says, okay, well, can we hack it? Can we, instead of making a connection from outside, can we form a connection from within? I don't have anything else to say <laughs> other than, 
every time I see the phrase from with whip and I'm like, ah, uh, ah, ah. yeah, uh, I love it too. <laughs> and I love rain. I love it when rain gets to say things. I love rain. So I, I like how Tattletail just writes off the possibility that chicken's power couldn't possibly be used to connect to another parahuman. Yeah, well, let's fucking hope not, Matt. Yeah. I mean, uh, but I mean, I don't know. I, I'm probably reading too much into it, but I was like, is she just trying to make it so that nobody makes that connection? Or does she really think that? Because I don't know, whatever. So, yeah, she, she I think I think with Lisa, the answer is it's both. It's, both. it's always it's both. Always both. <laughs> uh, perfect. So she concludes uh, that her power, uh, Lisa, that is her power is the only one that could really be used from within the shard space to form non-pre-existing connections to teach her. Um, So she wants to use her power as a bridge. Victoria wants to use decadence, which apparently they could conceivably get to teach her through like a daisy chain of powers connections that they, that they surmise might exist. Yeah. Um, But seems a lot less sure. Right. yeah, Yeah. Right. Um, but what I love about this in the process of discussing this whole thing, Tattletail is basically like revealing the full scope of what her power is to Victoria and everyone else. Um, this is something that even even as we move through this story and Victoria has kind of learned a little bit more and a little bit more about she's still kind of held back. And now it's like, no, this is my power. This is how it works. I'm explaining all this to you. Exactly. Um, I think this is interesting because I think it, this is a reflection maybe of how worried and kind of desperate lisa is feeling in this moment that that she's done caring about that kind of stuff that Uh this is this is life or death um we barely survived last time and if things are going to happen i want control over it i want to be the one that controls where it's going to go down and therefore i might have to reveal some stuff about me and my power that i didn't want to in the past absolutely yeah narratively that does give us a sense that the stakes are about as high as they can get when lisa tells her tells people about her power that's something she's always held very close to the chest, even with people she nominally trusts. Yeah. Um, like even the undersiders, I, I think she was not necessarily a hundred percent, uh, transparent about, about that, uh, from the, from the get. Yeah. We also learn a little bit more about candy's power and how mm-hmm. it can work on other parahuman powers as well. That's why the Daisy chain thing will work. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this again is cool in the moment, but it is also to me, one of those very cleverly hidden, setups that might pay off in a Mm -hmm. cool way in the future um or maybe even not like an explicit setup or just like a thing defined so that if i get in a situation where i need to use this in the future it's already been defined that it works this way right you know we talked about that during worm a lot that not all this has to be an explicit set off with a payoff in mind set up with a payoff in mind but um it could just be something uh, defining something so that i have the option of using it later exactly yeah i agree so the team votes on whether they're going to use Decadent or Tattletail's power, and Tattletail wins. The only ones who vote for Victoria's um, idea of using Decadent are Byron, Rain, and Kenzie. <laughs> so can we read a lot into this? Of course we can. Let's do it, Matt. Why yeah. Why Byron? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I mean, like, here, here's, here's the... So, so like... You can think of multiple reasons, right? But what's what's interesting is like I, I see these three characters as being the most um biased in in Victoria's favor. Sure. And like I just I feel like Kenzie, 
might literally just be voting with Victoria because it's Victoria and she's not going to vote against Victoria uh, with Tattletail, who she knows Victoria isn't best friends with. Sure. Um, Rain. I'm not really sure what his reasoning is. Well, I think I think there's been Loki this really, really firm buildup of mutual respect. Yeah. And between Rain and Victoria throughout like the book. Um, and so I, I, I'm not, I was not surprised to see him side with her here at all. Like it just, it felt like a natural evolution of the, the complex nature of their relationship that's been going on for a few arcs now where she was really kind of snippy and jerky to him and he kind of earned his place. And, mm-hmm. and there's been this, this growing respect between them. So that didn't, that didn't jump out at mm-hmm. me as different at all. Yeah. Part of me wants to say that, uh, Victoria and Byron also had their period of, of basically going through the gauntlet together when the whole goddess thing was going on. Sure. Sure. Um, but all, there's also, uh, perhaps a more amusing possibility, which is just that, um, uh, Tristan voted for Tattletail's plan. <laughs> Did Byron vote after Tristan? I don't remember. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that um, uh, that would be funny. Yeah. That's um, all I got for now though. So sure. Um, also to, to just, to just add up upon this whole thing though, we have Victoria who's already kind of in this panic mode and then she's once again left things up to a vote and the vote has gone against her. The last time that happened, she knew they were making the wrong decision, right? It was the the splitting up to fight against Cradle. She knew that was the wrong decision, but she put it up to a vote and she lost. And so she went with everyone else and was like, oh, shit, I was wrong. This time she's not so sure that her plan is the right one and their plan is the wrong one. But she, like, is so kind of distrusting of Tattletale that she's trying to come up with other options anyway, even if they're going towards this power source. Um, and I think right. it's very understandable from the the point of view of a character who just watched Lisa, like, like lose her shit at her just for for this perceived, oh, Victoria has gotten uh, a, an image of me that makes me uncomfortable and I'm going to lash out. And now you're going to head to her 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 den her shard den it seems like like that it's going to be a whole bunch of people getting more up close and personal with lisa than she's comfortable with at all so i understand her reticence here um i do think it's very interesting that that victoria is conscious enough to draw back to that last vote and note again that hey she lost again yeah yeah no it's it's true i mean she does she does point out the distinction between these two times, like last time she literally just went along with it. Cause she was like, sure. I, I don't want to make waves here. I, I don't think she's just going along with it. I think she's just like, well, I have my reservations, but it's a vote. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's, autom- she, she's planning other options, right? Yeah. Like she's like, all right, I'm going to go along with this, but I'm going to be thinking of other solutions. Yeah. And she immediately like starts trying to talk to damsel to be like, all right, help me figure this out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's right. She's talking to damsel. They're digging through a, a deeper understanding of, of the nature of this, of this place. And, and really she understands it pretty well. Like she, she, she's the one who actually makes this connection for us, uh, between what's going on now and the conversations surrounding March where March was talking about like, Oh yeah, it's great. Super cool. We, we die. And then we get to go to the, the red crystal world, which she, she glimpsed, um, in her interlude, uh, but she has a completely wrong impression of it. And Swan Song here is saying, yeah, you die, you go, 
you go here, but it's it, it sucks. She says Swan Song's. Uh, I mean, basically, she's saying if you die now, now that Scion is dead, your your afterlife sucks balls. And yeah, and and of course, Kinsey puts the dots together and says Swan Song's death is worse than it was before. Who cares? Damsel asked. Me, duh. Kinsey said, "All of us, you." <laughs> <laughs> and and then her response is to like angrily march march ahead faster. I, I love. Yeah, this. she like she like shakes her head and picks up her pace and like the obvious like fuck your right uh, admission ever. Um, it, like I love here that Kenzie has just got her number. Yeah. Like she really does. She's just like she she was close enough to to Swan Song that she and and this version of Ashley is a different person than Swan Song is, but she just has her pegged and she's like not putting up with her bullshit she's like you obviously you care yeah like i mean first of all like this obviously matters not just because you care about swan song but it means when you die your death is gonna be worse too right like like obviously you care yeah right exactly and not not setting aside the fact that they like live together for a, a long period of time yeah yeah I mean, doesn't this mean that anyone who dies from now on, this is going to happen? Like, or like this is any I, cape that dies. This that is was your my, future. Yeah, that was my assumption. Yeah. So obviously everyone cares. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So they make their way into thickets of crystal now. And it's it's dark. Um, it's described as being darker than I was imagining, actually. Uh, yeah. Like pri- they're, they're tripping this. over crystal. Yeah. They're like almost. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And they frequently. Uh, yeah. They almost run over stuff. They stumble. That, that, so so then they stumble across another agent, uh, a big one with spikes radiating from her head to infinity and empty <laughs> eye sockets. Uh, we'll, we'll call this one um, Miss Spiky Head. Sounds good. Is there any guess? Do you have any fun guess on who Miss Spiky Head might belong to? Like what what the what cape this agent goes to? Um, Does it even work that way? I don't fucking know, man. I I, I don't know. I like, like my first thought was like, is it ingenue? And then I was like trying to put that together and I was like, no, I can't really make that work. Hmm. But, um, cause, cause, cause what it's described as being able to do is, is so like native to the shardscape. It's like, I mean, it could be ingenue, but I don't know. I don't know. I I don't really think so. Honestly, I don't know if there's enough there to actually make a conclusion. I just want to have some fun with it. Yeah. Ingenue is a good guess. Yeah. Let's say that. So uh, Tattletail's agent is also present. Uh, and it, it looks like a pair of linked cones endlessly rotating. Uh, I put in mind of a disk drive. Yeah. Can we just like this is one of those moments where I just want to read the text like because it's wonderful. Yeah. I look over and I can see that past the tear in the landscape, Tattletail's agent was an extension of the landscape, built almost like a cone poised on another cone, except it was a person's body in a toga-cut dress, twisting and rotating in jerks, like every movement snapped its own spine. It had an abstract, eyeless, mouthless head, bearing a full head of thick cords that could have been wires that trailed down to the crystal below it. Each jerky rotation suggested a different number of arms as she interacted with the forest around her, bringing up images just by facing each crystal. Each image that was brought up sparked off transmission for elsewhere. And I could see it now that we were closer. There were more small, almost imperceptible sparks traveling from each spike to elsewhere. It was barely visible, but with a thousand spikes all together. And, and then it just kind of zones out the, the the majesty of it all. I just like. It's like this this abstract, cosmic, terrible thing that also like makes 
perfect description description sense for what Tattletale's power is and how it yeah. works. Like like the literal manifestation of how Tattletale's power works here, which is like the thing is creating crystals and then using those crystals to reflect things is like a perfect way to visualize what her power does. Like, I love it. I was just like, I read this and I was like, of course, that makes perfect sense. I love it so much. Yeah, right. And and it ends up being kind of utilitarian too, in, in the sense of narratively, they're able to interact with it in the space in a way that's very dramatic. Sure. Like that's, that's the cool thing is that Tattletail's power in her head is, is a, a kind of an internal monologue, kind of an intrusive sure. monologue. But here, we were doing it in this visual milieu. And I think that works really well for what uh, it plugs in really well with everything that's been going on in these chapters. It, mm-hmm. It's there's this really fun, you know, progression over the course of these two, two or two or three chapters as they learn more about the nature of the images they're seeing in the shard yeah. faces. And you go from just kind of being acquainted with it to this is like an Oracle. It can answer your questions and, Every, pretty much everything is going to show you is going to suck just like everything up till now has sucked, but this is going to be yeah. even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Cause it lies yeah. or does it or does it right. Ooh. Right. Yeah. So Tattletale's agent, which they called the negotiator for reasons that I'm not entirely certain of, honestly, uh, distracts spiky head lady shard. And then they run through the thicket now facing moments when they were attacked, injured, damaged, Crawler's vomit, Kenzie's face smashed into a plate, violence and pain. Yeah, and this is one of those moments where I really start to to think about this, right? Because like suddenly we're in this this tense moment and suddenly all the visions that are crowding our characters are violent, are destructive, are some of their worst memories, their worst injuries, their worst pains. Um it's <laughs> it's brutal and like I'm not clear. Is this is the shards they're running through now? Like specifically, Tattletale shards making them see this, or is this just the the sect of shard space they're in happens to be the violent, uh, pain section of shard space? The, I think the, it's the latter. Yeah, right? the, the latter was my assumption. I I feel like we're just being like different parts of the space are just dedicated to different terrible things. Yeah, and this is the last section they get through before they get to Tattletale. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. isn't isn't it isn't it thematically fitting that like the section that Tattletale's agent hangs out in is the violence and pain memories section of Shard Space? Sure. Yeah. Like I, I think that's wonderful. I yeah. love that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does make sense. <laughs> um. So, Victoria speaks to give orders, and she realizes that the shards of crystal near the negotiator react to her by creating images. Uh, so she forms the connection to teacher by asking a question about him, but then she can't fucking stop herself from asking <laughs> questions about all the people she cares about. Amelia Levere, Mark Dallin, Amy Dallin, Panacea, the red queen, Carol Dallin, Chris Elman, and Jessica. Oh boy. Oh boy. So, yeah. I mean, we have to talk about the fact that, she names Amy four times right. and with four different names. And, and I love that each time a different facet is shown to her, right? As it's a different interpretation, it's a different mask. It's a different personality that she's putting on. So we see a different version of Amy and all those. Yeah. Um, right. And I mean, we could go through those one by one. I don't want to because the Amy Dallin one is very extremely disturbing and I don't right. want to talk about that. But I think just the general idea that like 
she can't help herself but look in on Amy um, is fascinating. Yeah. And all the facets of Amy, not just the not just right. one, not just right. Amy Dallin, not just Amelia, all of them. Yeah. She almost compulsively keeps asking about Amy. She, she yeah. kind of can't get enough information about her. And it's really pretty irrelevant to what's going on right now. It's, it's just her satisfying her. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Her her extremely deep anxiety about about Amy. Yeah, but like if you have the power, <laughs> like that's the thing is like if you have the ability to just ask a question and see an answer as a person who, as Victoria states later in this chapter, she's a person who likes getting answers to questions. It must be really freaking hard to not to stop, to stop. Yeah. And, and I think that's a reflection of like what it's like to have Tattletail's power day in and day out, right? Like you have this this thing sitting, and you know if you ask it a question, it's going to give you an answer. You know it will. How do you not? How do you stop yourself from asking it? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and Tattletail addresses that explicitly in a second. Um, yeah, but yeah, just like you said, it, there's a lot of stuff here. But basically, the gist of it is that all these pictures she sees are of people at their worst, or at least doing stuff that would hurt Victoria. Like uh, Uncle Neil nailing Carol 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, all lies, Tattletale unconvincingly assures her. <laughs> um, so, you know, so so we talked, uh, there, there was a lot of discussion about this in the Discord, I think in the in the subreddit too. See, I miss all this. I miss all I this fun talk. I know. But, but so like something that I kind of settled on is this idea that like it shows the first parts of things and then leaves you to fill in the worst possible interpretation of it. So like, sure. So like uncle nail nailing Carol 21 years ago, we don't actually see that. We see them start to get hot and heavy and then the camera cuts away. And that could just be narrative choice of, you know, the shard not wanting to show Victoria, you know, full sex on I don't know why the shard would be approved exactly. Oh, be, I got it so nice of the shard right. to not have to show me that. Yeah, yeah. thanks shard. But thanks on the other buddy. hand, on the other hand, maybe that's all that happened. You know, and sure. So and and, and I, I mean I think we're gonna I think we're probably gonna get uh, like a, like a confirmation at some point. Maybe not though. Maybe not. I don't know. So so anyway, I just like this idea that it's not necessarily even that it's lying. It's that it's showing you something and then leaving you to fill in the gaps. And yeah. and and Victoria is filling in the gaps. We see her right. jumping to conclusions. Maybe they're the right conclusions, but she's absolutely extrapolating from what she's been shown. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, if we layer this on top of what we already understand about Tattletail's power, that makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that Tattletail is told incorrect information explicitly. It's that it is usually information based off of uh, preconceived assumptions. And then when you make it make when you take information based off an assumption and then extrapolate that off of that information, you lead yourself down a road where you could just be totally wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't I don't think it's right that she lies. I mean, I think we've been we've been circling around this is is Neil Victoria's father idea for a while now. Right. We've had some very interesting little bits that seem to indicate that maybe that is so. There's a bit in the last chapter we didn't talk about where where Chicken Little is looking at at her mother and then when Victoria steps uh, in front of that same crystal, there's a moment where uh, Neil pops up and it's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Why would mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's clearly apparent there. <laughs> and and so, like, could this be um, the truth? Could this be the this Tattletale specific power reacting to a, a, a worry or a fear that Victoria herself already had in her? I don't know. Um, I think. 
I think there is certain truths to it for sure. But I do agree with you that like the extrapolation, the taking that one bit of information and then deciding, oh, not only did Uncle Neil and my mother hook up at one point, but that must mean, therefore, I am his daughter. Mm. Um, and, and that is a representative of the worst betrayal that my mother could possibly do to me is that my father wasn't even really my father. Um, that is not what the shard shows her. Um, right. She doesn't stay looking at it long enough to see that's what the shard shows her. Uh, yeah. Uh, and all that just speaks to what a bad mental place she's in, that she's just ready to believe all of the worst possible things yeah. um, immediately without without even really... Uh, I mean, her, her defenses are down, right? Like, I think, sure. I think a Victoria with her defenses up would be at least, at least, kind of some skeptical distance between between seeing that and just jumping to that conclusion. Yeah, I think you're right. But we do learn that Crystal is, you know, not a traitor in any specific way. It's a really heartbreaking scene we see of Carol, though, right? Yeah, like she's trying desperately to chop carrots or something. Yeah, and her just she's still not she's still not right. Yeah. And so she's struggling with it and, and Crystal's there to help out. So, yeah, um, I I feel like I feel like we're setting something up with Crystal, man. Yeah, I, I just feel like I'm worried about it. But because, yeah, uh, yeah, it's like we got this 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 subtly hinted at thing in the last chapter and then a specific declaration of, OK, Crystal's the only one I have. Crystal's the, my, my trust in all these people is deteriorating as I'm learning this stuff about them. But at least this person, mm-hmm. at least I got this person. Oh, really? OK, let's yeah. take them away. Let's see what happens when we remove the puppy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can't. I, I'm just going to say it because it keeps occurring to me, this idea that her name is Crystal. Yeah, I mean, that is perfect. We're in Crystal land and it's like, I don't know, does it mean something? Sure. Crystals sure. refract light. This is all about light. Her name is yeah. Crystal, whatever. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we even had this text draw attention to the fact that her name is Crystal when Valkyrie was like, I don't see the connection between your powers and Crystal. <laughs> and crystal's like that's just my name yeah like, like the text literally pointed out to us that her that name is, is unique so good catch good, yeah. yeah i forgot about that yeah yeah um so now i'm just gonna read a big chunk of tattletale because i love this i love the prose or the i, I love the writing i love the, the the pathos and the depth of this character and her saying something that we've kind of been building to this whole story where other people have been have been hinting that that this is this is the way things are for her, but this is just her confessing it. You could ask it a million questions and understand everything, I bet. There are less filters while we're in here, probably, Tattletail told me. I always thought of myself as an answer seeker, I said. Yeah, sure, absolutely, Tattletail said, quiet. Here's the deal, though. By the time you're done asking a million questions, I guarantee you, they're going to hate everyone and everything. You'll abhor them, despise them, be afraid of them. I looked away from the crystals, which had gone dim. Tattletail's expression was sad. Sometimes you gotta just pick a few promising runts out of the litter and just plug in that one big assumption, she told me. Start with the assumption that they're good people and build on that belief. Sometimes they step it up and live up to what you think of them. Ugh. Ugh. Love it. I mean... It's, it's I, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I, the thing I love about this is... Lisa is not being argumentative. She's not being confrontational. She is being upfront and honest and real. Um, She's talking quietly and sadly. This is her, you know, showing Victoria um, one of the, the, the deepest truths about 
why she is the way she is. Mm -hmm. And she's not doing it in a way that like she's, she's just being vulnerable. She's being really vulnerable to her here and not in, in a very Lisa kind of way. And I, I love it. I I love that. She's willing, willing to do that. um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that she, she has kind of uh, swung, swung uh, the, the pendulum of, her lashing out at Victoria a, a couple chapters ago has swung the other direction. She's realized that that wasn't fair. I mean, I think she knew it wasn't fair even at the time, but she was emotional. Sure. And I, I don't know if this is exactly an attempt to make amends, but this is this is her having had some time to deal with being re-traumatized by seeing her trigger event. And, and you know, her, her and Victoria have become close in their weird head yeah. buddy way. And and I think that she's ready to show some vulnerability to Victoria. And so that, that's part of why I love this. Yeah. And you have to think that, that uh, Tattletale can see the answers that Victoria is getting, right. And she's asking yeah. her questions. Right. So I, I, I do like the idea of she's being kind here as kind of compensating for the, the immense cruelty she showed her uh, a few chapters ago, but also just that maybe she's, she understands her on a different level now too. Like, like this idea, she saw her trigger event and saw her as this person that, Oh, just lost to the basketball game. And that's all the bad thing that happened to you. But now she's seeing as, as Victoria is answering these questions, she's really seeing and, and maybe understanding the, the extent with which the terrible thing she's gone through with people. And, and also seeing a kindred spirit of the type of person that feels, feels it necessary to ask these questions when given the opportunity. And, and maybe is like, no, don't trust me. This is not a route you want to go down. This is not something you want to do. This is not where you want to go. Yeah. Because it's only going to end in in horribleness. And right. And sort of fails to persuade her of that because sure. she, she keeps on asking questions. Keeps asking. Yeah. yeah, right. But I wanted to talk to you a bit about this good people line because I think this is a line that's going to uh pay off really interestingly right in our next chapter, right? This idea that uh you just got to pick a few promising runs out of the litter and just plug in that one big assumption. Start with the assumption that they're good people and build on that belief. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really interesting. And I, I think that's, it's a really interesting reflection of these characters definitions of how they define good people um, versus Amy's definition of that in the next chapter uh-huh. um, that these people like, you have to go in with that assumption and build on that and, and, and use your power building on that basic assumption. Whereas, um, Amy's kind of assumption is that she is the only good people (laughs) and everyone else is bad people unless they think she's good people. Yeah. Well, I think what, what Tattletale is basically saying is you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And Amy's perspective is basically everyone should always give me the benefit of the doubt. And I will give it not at all to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the opposite and not the same. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, just, I mean, just kind of a, an aside, one of the things that we apparently learned is that in one of the other ABCD, whatever branches that Contessa gave them, Rain used his blades to break teacher's portal and then he got killed. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's just kind of, uh, are we supposed to take that at face value? I, I think probably yes. Probably. Yeah. But she, yeah. she doesn't want to go too far down those paths because yeah. it could mess up what Contessa did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and then my favorite topic, the uh, Jessica attacking Bonesaw. Strangling 
strangling bone bones, saw. bone saw child to is, death. Is bone saw dead? Are these images literal? And she thinks to herself, bone saw never came back. Jessica quit being a therapist. And so like, this is kind of what I mean with the jumping to conclusions thing, because what's funny is I went into the discord after reading this chapter and I was like, I was like, I said a bunch of stuff and it was all premised on this idea that Bonesaw is dead. And some people were like, wait a minute, why are you assuming Bonesaw is dead? Like, like we saw her, like Valkyrie saw her after, um, after she kind of met them, you know, after she found them. So like when, when would Jessica have had time to kill her? And I was like, oh wow, I, I just completely jumped to the conclusion that she, that Jessica had killed her, which funnily enough, we don't even see Victoria explicitly make that connection, but I kind of assume that's what that, that's what Bonesaw never came back meant. Um, uh, but anyway, then, then some people kind of pushed back on me and were like, how do we even know? Like, like, like what if these images aren't literal? What if they're just conveying, conveying information and sentiment, but they're not actually meant to be like, this is what exactly happened. Yeah, and sure. And I'm kind of like, I, I actually don't, fully buy that like i don't know why i don't know why it would be that way uh, I, I don't know what we would be gaining like storytelling wise if they were if they were not basically literal but um uh, everyone can have their own interpretation obviously yeah i mean i, I think it's kind of a I, I wonder if this is like a chicken and egg situation here because like these lines bone saw never came back jessica quit being a therapist these could be conclusions that you think about after you see the image or these could be the things that you had in the back of your head that caused the image to appear, right? Mm -hmm. Like you were wondering about this already. And therefore when you ask Jessica, here's a thing that I extrapolate happened based on the knowledge you had or the knowledge that was known. Um, I I don't know. I think it's interesting either way. Uh, I do think something went down because Mm -hmm. Jessica does come back different and where the hell is Bonesaw? She's still not around. Um, So I'm going to say a, a solid, confident to the question of are these images literal? Maybe. Right. I think that <laughs> I think that's the fun. That's the fun thing about this is that it could go either way on, on pretty much all of these questions. Right. Sure. Um, although sure. One, one other thing I ended up kind of settling on was like if we end up learning equivoc- unequivocally that Mark is Victoria's dad, then that will be a bit of a. Th- that will make me immediately doubt all of these other things that we saw like, Oh, okay. Then, then I'm much less sure that bone saw is actually dead. Yeah. So. Or, or at least doubt the extrapolation of yeah, it. Yeah. Like, like that. Yeah. Like specifically bone saw dead. Right. Cause right. that is something that is the conclusion that she kind of reaches herself. Yeah. We don't, we don't literally see her die. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think that would be an easy way for the story to kind of demonstrate that is like by saying, no, of course, Mark's your father. What are you talking about? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah right yeah so subsequent to seeing all of this heinous shit from all the people that she thought she could trust or at least sort of trust victoria reasonably totally rationally suicidally jumps across the chasm to the next (laughs) uh crystal thingy and when she hits the ground she simultaneously simultaneously dually crushes her body to a pulp and swaps out with another body making a fantastic hero landing yeah, this is a great way of doing it. That is not really the plan. This was not the plan, but it is now. Um, what I love is that from this moment on, the 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 chapter and the arc suddenly like roars to its climax. Right, like uh-huh. we've had these this slow build of these terrifying and sad moments where where we're revealing truths about our characters and having them go through stuff, and then suddenly it's like 
fuck, let's go. And it's just like it's just headlong into the end from here on out. It's like like sprinting, sprinting towards the end. Yeah. Um, it's right. great. Yeah. And, and they've been uh, th- throughout throughout this section. They were kind of hunkering down because the spiked agent is nearby and it's kind of trying to get to them. And so there is this time pressure. But yeah, once once she crosses the, the, the chasm, it's immediate, immediate uh, battle. Right. So yep, the, yep. The, the spiked agent chases her, stabs her through the hand and she calls out to waste and glass, gold, and glory arrive. A fragile <laughs> shell with nothing in it, radiating light. Uh, so this is this is kind of this is kind of what we we see here, right? This is why teacher hesitated, right? Because this this idea, or at least that's what what Victoria says here. This is why um, this is why teacher hesitated uh-huh. because I have this open door connection to my my agent, and therefore can call can summon my agent and kind of control my agent in the sim- a similar way to maybe teacher does his, although not exactly. But mm. um, so she summons waste. Let's talk about this look like this fragile glass gold with this light emitting in center and it just attacks and shatters and destroys and uh-huh. reforms constantly. Like it's a perfect, it's a perfect picture of what waste is this like piece of shit, this piece right. of garbage that just charges into stuff collapses uh-huh. and then reforms and then does it again. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. But I mean like this is, this is not what I thought. Uh, Oh, Victoria's connection to her shard was, this is not how I thought this was going to pay off in shard space. I thought it was going to pay off in a disastrous way and it almost pays off in a triumphant way here. Yeah. It, it's a pretty cool moment actually. It's sure. Uh, waste just comes in like a wrecking ball and, mm-hmm. and saves her completely bails her out. Right? that there's, there's really no negative consequence unless of course you consider that Victoria ends up conce- like succeeding as being a potential negative consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's great. And yeah. uh, the, the gold, you know, we've got the gold, we've got the glass ref- refracting light. You know what I hope? I hope that this whole thing just devolves into Everyone having like Pokemon battles with their agents, and that's what the final battle is. And then, and then the agents are like, "This is great because we get the conflict that we wanted." And the humans <laughs> are like, "And we don't have to die." Waste, useless smash attack. Yeah, you leveled up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's that's great. You've you've solved it. <laughs> um, yeah. So Victoria gets away, and before we know it, we're upon teacher. And teacher is physically wrapped around his agent like tinsel on a Christmas tree. How fucking horrifying. disturbing is that? So it's like at first I thought like he was just um, he was just like riding it like just like dino riding and a shard. <laughs> That's like I, it's where my brain immediately went because my brain has a very hard time like dealing with the concept of his skin is just like wrapped around to this thing um, in the most disturbing way possible. Um, but then, yeah, I went back and reread it and was like, oh, God, this is this is terrible. It's, it's wearing him. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. Like, yeah. uh, and he's no wonder he was all sweaty when he got out of that place. <laughs> yeah. He's, it didn't feel so good. Yeah. I'm sure it didn't. Right. So first, Victoria manages to break something that frees the spike woman agent from teacher's control, then picks out a crystal to smash. And she's uh, she's trying she's channeling some some major uh, angry at mom energy as she rushes to smash uh, the final crystal, which she deems promising, she succeeds and then wakes up to a super pissed off defiant. 
yeah. So let's talk about this choice here at the end. Like she is there. Time is ticking down. Um, they are rushing to the end. She sees this crystal. Um, she's she's pissed off at her mom. And then she sees teacher wants this thing. And she's like, oh, well, that's a thing my mom taught me. My mom that I'm angry at. I'll just break this thing. And she's not like sure what's going to happen. Right. It's like she even questioned herself. Was this end the world? No. Or was this no? My plans? No. Oh, well, I'll roll the dice and just punch this thing really hard and yeah. see what happens. Um, it's it's reckless to an extreme. And I know like they're backed up against the wall and their time is ticking down and she has to do something. But this seems like it very easily could have gone the other way had had anything else happened. Yeah, I'm I'm so anxious about this. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've suspected for some time now that like Victoria's choices are going to lead to some some terrible outcome sure sure and so defiant says you didn't end the world but there's a lot of there's a lot of gray area between yeah it was good and the world ended right so. right i mean he's pissed off and yeah. I, I like look it, it is very possible that he could just be pissed off because hey you didn't listen to me pissed off yeah but i don't know i think it's gonna be more than just hey you didn't listen to me pissed off yeah i think you're right it's going to be, what have you done, you stupid <laughs> idiot? What have you done? Yeah, I think you're right. All right. So that that basically wraps up our Victoria chapters for, for the arc. Um, and now let's get into the long-awaited 16.Y, Amy. Yeah, uh, that was, you know, everything else was just a warm-up. Now we're on to the main event of the week. Yeah, pretty much. This is why, everyone, we split this and we did not do four chapters. Uh-huh. Because we're going to be going, I don't know how much longer we're going to be going from here, but I'm going to guess a, a bit, a little bit. Let me, let me look at where our task, but oh no, it's 10 more pages. <laughs> go Matt, go. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So been dreading this one, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and I think I want to pause here before we get into this and talk about expectations a little bit. Um, after everything that's happened in this book, Amy is awful has become a rather uncontroversial opinion, right? That's a generally held opinion. Amy sucks. Amy's terrible. But the worm formula has always been wait till the characters interlude, right? If you hate them now, you'll you'll read an interlude and you'll feel terrible for them by the end of it, at the end of the interlude. Um, this is kind of what I was expecting, even as recently as a week ago. I was still kind of expecting that we would get uh, an explanation or an understanding of a character that would lead us to perhaps see them in a, a different, maybe better light. Right. Uh, this chapter is most certainly not that. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, it's not that I don't feel bad for Amy by the end of this interlude. I do in a, in a very, in a very specific kind of way that we'll get into as we go. But this is certainly not the let's plant the character in a sympathetic light by revealing the source of their trauma, which will go a long way to explain their actions type of chapter. Right. Um, this yeah. is not that it does contextualize and explain Amy's actions, but that just makes it worse. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's a chapter that is not a good look. You don't come out of this chapter sympathizing with Amy at all. Understanding her. Sure. Pitying her. Uh, sympathizing with her. Fuck. No. Um, so this chapter basically bucks our trend of interludes, right? Like if you asked anyone, what is the one thing that, that these books did? Um, 
uh, it would be we get to an interlude and we have a character we hate and then we read their interlude and then by the end we're like, oh, I get you now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this says no. So the question here is why? The question is why did we do it this way? Why is this book doing this way? And I think the answer to that question lies within this interlude itself and I think it's a really interesting one and I, I want to explore that as we go through it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I obviously have a, a, a ton to say about this, but yeah, let's let's get into it and hopefully we'll pick it apart piece by piece. Sure, sure. So Amy pauses before going through a door to meet someone, reflecting on how timid she is. She looks at her maimed fingers and her tattoos, commemorating her lowest point, and thinks that it still hurts every time she looks at it. Yeah, and this is what this is why I love this, because I think structurally what this chapter is doing is it is slowly ramping up to the full extent of Amy's awfulness. It's as if Wildbow understands what maybe the expectation is here, that maybe the expectation is that this chapter is going to give us a, a different point of view, a different angle on Amy that might make her uh, see her in a more sympathetic light or, or, or have a chance to win, win us over to her. Um, and he doesn't reveal right away that this isn't going to be what this is. But, but there are hints here from the very beginning, right? Because on the surface, this moment of her looking at her hand and reminding herself of her lowest point seems to indicate like, like the pain of guilt and regret. These, these things, I, I feel guilty about what I've done. I regret what I've done. I've, I'm acknowledging this bad thing I did and I feel bad about it. Um, it seems like that. It seems like that's what it's going to be. And you're like, okay, that's good. That's promising. But yeah, it's not really that, though. No, it, it it's not. And I love that you that you pointed that out that, yeah, like like we're, we're almost I mean, like you said, we've been conditioned to a degree. We're almost like, all right, all right. Wow, though, hit me with it. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like somehow turn shit into gold. I know you <laughs> I know you can do it. Um, and, and so you're like, OK, OK, she she seems to be feeling remorse. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. We we uh, we we didn't we kind of didn't believe she was capable of it. And then it's and then like you like you said it kind of turns out that it's not the it's not a kind of remorse that results in any improvement. It's yeah. a, it's it's more like a um I feel bad about myself kind right. of of regret. Right. Because even this is solely focused on herself, right? Yeah. This was my lowest point. It hurts me. Yeah. Um. It, it, it is. It is something that on the surface feels like okay, that might be a good good sign. But yeah, when you stare at it for more than a second, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. This is wholly focused on yourself. Um. And and it's it's a sign of things to come for sure. Yeah. Right. She muses that one time she approached Marquis with the theory that she got her anxiety and quiet nature from her biological mom, since she clearly didn't get it from Marquis or from the Dallins. <laughs> and she seems to find quite a lot of value in this realization. Uh, it makes her more calm to think of this, to, to have this explanation for where this timid nature comes from. But Marquis fails to confirm it, which basically she takes as a negation. And it's like that robs her of this security that she somehow was, was gaining from this framing. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I think this is doing two very important things that continue throughout this entire chapter. So I want to take the time to really discuss and dive into these two biggest Amy characterizations that this reveals and that we'll see throughout. The first is this idea, the central idea that a character trait or action of hers belongs to one of her forebears and not herself and how she uses that as a relief mechanism 
to to any kind of blame. And we see this here in this moment, but we see it throughout the chapter. She's constantly comparing the actions that she's doing to Marquis, to Carol. Um, when she does something that she sees a little a little shady, that's a Marquis thing. When she does something that's a little manipulated, that's a Carol thing. She blames her parents for the person she is and for the things that she did. And, and, and look, it is unquestionably true that who we are as people has a lot to do with the people that raised us, that created us and that raised us. But Amy is taking that idea and releasing all personal responsibility from it and, and all necessary corrective action from it. Right. Yeah. She's completely shirking the responsibility. It's just like, yes. And, and I mean, she she makes certain choices with full awareness that like, oh, yeah, this is kind of a Marcos thing to be doing that I'm doing right now. And it's like, OK, then don't fucking do it if you ha- if, if sure. it's an issue. Right. 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 She does it anyway. Yeah. And let's take a step back here because the arc is called From Within. And in this very last chapter we talked about, we had Victoria hit by this panic attack out of nowhere. It, it, it was an attack that was different, but also kind of connected to everything she's been through. Um and, and and when Victoria looked around, she realized that this is all coming from within me. This is coming from within me, from within. I have the responsibility to, to look at that and to try to deal with it. It's mine to deal with. Um, by contrast, Amy, Amy's version of this arc would be called from without. None of this comes from within her. None of this is her fault. None of this is her responsibility. And, and she uses it like in the, like in this realization of this 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 shyness, this timidity, this quietness. I think this isn't me. I got this from my mom and therefore I don't have to worry about it. It's not mine. If I like you just said, if you don't like that about yourself, if you don't like that about yourself, work towards changing it. Don't just say, oh, well, I understand where I got this from and therefore I don't have to do anything about it. But that's what she does. And it's what she does constantly with every little thing throughout this chapter. This one little beat here sets up her actions for almost every other reasoning throughout this chapter. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you're forced to go back through things. Right. And, and, and like the, the way the chapter starts, she's thinking about like, oh, shit, I, I've always been surrounded by people who were so good at this, the, 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 this being what, like the social thing, the cape thing. Yeah. And and like we know from Victoria's point of view that Victoria works constantly to like sharpen and refine her her poise how how she how she's perceived how she's conveying herself it's not automatic for her it's a habit that she's taught sure. herself and and amy has this conception that like oh i'm just bad at this uh because yeah. i've never tried because sure. i am just this way and it's yeah. not my fault and it's so it's so i mean it's really quite infuriating because yes. i think we all know people who are like that like we we may not know people who are as bad as amy across the board but I think we all know people who have this this mode of being in the world where everything is someone else's fault. Right. And and I think this is one of the reasons why people have reacted to Amy so like Jack Slash is worse than Amy. Okay. Yes, do we agree? Jack Slash is worse than Amy as a human being. But sure. But Amy, it's so it's so much easier to get viscerally riled up by Amy because we all know somebody on that spectrum on the way to being Amy, right? Yeah. We we don't, we don't know any Jack slashes usually. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, like I think we, you and I were talking about earlier and it's like alcoholism. Like we, we found that addiction is a genetic trait, right? Your, mm-hmm. your, your likelihood to be addicted to something can be a genetic trait. Um, and that doesn't mean, okay. So mm-hmm. you're an alcoholic because your father was an alcoholic. 
Does that mean you don't have to do anything about that now that you're released from all responsibility to try to make yourself get better? No, of course not. You still have to do stuff about it. Yes, you understand where it came from and that helps you deal with it. But you you have responsibility still, mm-hmm. Amy. Yeah. 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 But the, the the second thing that I think this is almost as equally important is this this ability for Amy's internal monologue to basically be pulling a constant Lisa in a way. Like she always assumes the worst about what everyone is doing. Mm-hmm. Like, like in this moment, she asks a question to Marquis about her mother. He smiles. He doesn't say yes or no. He just smiles. And she immediately extrapolates out a complex reasoning for why what she just asked is not true um, without any kind of support from that. And, and she might even be right in this one instance that that her mother was not like this. Her reasoning behind this might actually be spot on. But this is what she does throughout the entire chapter, right? She is constantly reading in to everything people do, making assumptions about what they think about her based on body language, based on interpretations of what they're saying, based on all this kind of stuff. And it is always immediately the most uh, victim creating interpretation for her, right? The the thing that makes her seem the weakest, the thing that, that hurts her the most is is what she assumes everyone else means by everything they say. Mm-hmm. That's 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 reflected in her reaction to just a smile from Marquis here. And I think th- so this one little beat right here at the beginning has kind of set up these are these are the two big Amy characteristics, right? These are the two things that are going to carry through this entire Jessica conversation and we kind of understand exactly why she's going to answer certain ways and respond certain ways to certain things. Yeah, no, that that's great. Yeah. I mean, what there's there's so many different kind of threads of what's going on with Amy and and yeah, it's great to point out that these are actually set in this very subtle way before this conversation even starts so yeah. that Wildbo can start kind of weaving with them rather than having to introduce them on the fly. Yeah, and you might not even like be aware that that one little story is setting up all that, but mm-hmm. it just gets you in the mood, gets you in the mode of seeing how Amy processes information. Mm-hmm. Um so it all feels like it 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 makes sense from her from our uh, character perspective as it as we go through and as it gets worse and worse and worse and her interpretations are more cruel and more terrible. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she enters the dimly lit massive space of the warden's lobby HQ back at the start of the story to meet Jessica Yamada. Yeah, and and like this is I still think Wildbo's playing with us a bit here and 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 having us go, "Oh, oh, so this is it." Like this is the chapter where we feel bad for Amy or we learn more about Amy and we're going to do it through a therapy session mm-hmm. through Jessica Yamada. That makes sense. It makes sense that we be doing it this way. This is perfect. And I think he's playing off this a little bit. Of course, we know if we think about it for more than a minute, this occurs probably not directly, but soon after Yamada's conversation with Victoria in which she says Amy is like the most dangerous person in the world and needs help. And Jessica's probably like going to check up on that herself. Right. Exactly. Um, Yep. But I want to I want to point at something in the mood of the atmosphere that Wildbo sets up here. Mm -hmm. Uh Amy describes the space, the warden's headquarters as a space that looks like it was the twilight of earliest morning or cusp of evening. So it's this in between, right? It's, it's either right before sunrise or right before sunset, almost as if we're, we're putting this character in this, this moment, right? Where she could go either way that this, there's still, there's still a chance in the months ago version of Amy for her to go the right way, Mm -hmm. um, for her to, for her to go the way of, 
not darkness of light, although we, we invert those all the time. So don't, don't pay attention to yeah. that. But you know what I mean? Right. Like like she's 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 at this the mood, the setting of this place is at this hour of change and it could go one way or the other. Um, and and we know we know where it's going to go. But I love it as this the setup of that, of this mood of this place. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I adore that. Yeah. The the the, the atmosphere of this of this place it's actually it actually feels very different than i remember it feeling to victoria which probably means well it probably does feel different to victoria i think yeah amy literally feels things differently than other people because she sees the world as being this dark place basically Mm -hmm. so amy offers her hand to shake as a kind of weirdly half-assed power move which she immediately (laughs) apologizes for and retracts uh, so throughout this conversation, Amy is hyper conscious of how she is being seen. Mm-hmm. How should she stand? Where should she stand? Where should she put her hands? Are those women over there looking at me? Uh, it, it, it's just a it's a thread that runs throughout the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Everything is calculated because everyone is constantly judging everything you do or say. And it's never positive judgment, right? It's always negative. It's always they're they're going to judge me harshly because of the way I stand or where I put my hands or what I do this. Um, and, and later she says she had no idea if she was being manipulated. She didn't have the skill set to even begin figuring it out or to know what to do. if She'd been able to put her finger on it. So like Jessica is kind of here. I mean, she, Jessica's doing a little bit of manipulation, right? In, in the classic therapy sense of manipulation, right? Where you're using different techniques to try to get someone to open up to you, but it's not like manipulation, meant to deceive or hurt you um but she's not even aware enough of that she's just like this is probably manipulation i and she's so busy playing this game of like where you stand or or power moves or or different things that she can't like listen mm-hmm. like, just, she yeah. just listen i mean i i'm really fascinated by this element of her kind of hyper awareness of of the the context because victoria isn't completely dissimilar that you can see echoes of the carol cultivation here except the difference being that victoria's consciousness of appearances is channeled through a kind of proactive mentality that like oh okay i'm going to i'm going to control how i appear i'm going to make sure that my that my makeup looks right like my my hair looks okay my clothes look good i my i have i have fashion sense which i work on and spend effort on I, I pay attention to how I stand to project leadership qualities. All of these things are things we know Victoria thinks about, does on purpose, takes an sure. active role in. Amy is almost just like she's a victim of, of everything. She's a victim of where her hands are, let, as if yeah. they're not her hands and she can't control them. <laughs> I love like, that. And, and it's, yeah. it's, it's just as a contrast, it's, it's almost maddening, right? Just the, the degree to which she refuses to take control or responsibility for anything yeah yeah i i I think you're absolutely right i I love that comparison that yeah like both of them are taking the same kind of pressure from carol but their their reaction to that is entirely different yeah one is one is active and one of one is passive one is woe is me and one is i gotta do something about this And, and if we're going to blame carol for this then then I then I you you could say, yeah, Carol kind of fucked her up here because Carol has oh, in, yeah. has installed all of this hyper awareness of how she's being perceived without really teaching her how to channel and control it the way Victoria is able to. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether we should really blame Carol for that, like 100 percent. I don't know. I don't know how to blame. I don't know. 
this whole this whole chapter and this whole idea gives me like it leads me to be very confused about about the role of blame because like at a certain point it's like yeah i mean may, maybe carol did do all of this to you maybe carol's 100 percent responsible for all of your problems sure okay now what now what yeah exactly now what so like yeah it's like it's great that you've come to realize that I think that's an important first step in dealing with your problems, but that doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem to point at your mom and say, okay, it was your fault. Okay. So now, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean like Victoria to, to compare again, acknowledges that a lot of her issues come from her mother and she's actively trying to do something about it. She, she is, and she doesn't always succeed. And sometimes she makes bad choices. Like for example, charging blindly and punching a rock really hard that might end the world. Not a, not a great look, but she's active. She's doing something um, where, where Amy's response seems to be like, woe is me. My mom did this to me. There's nothing I can do. No one will give me a chance and it's all their fault. And it, yeah, it's just completely passive and it sucks. Yeah. So Jessica opens up the conversation, asking that the terms of their interaction be that of collaboration between colleagues, which is kind of bullshit (laughs) because like I think she's framing it in this way specifically to not set off Amy, but she's treating this like it's a therapy session, right? Like she starts the conversation with which name, which name would you like to go by, which is Jessica's tried and true first statement of beginning of a therapy session. Right. That's that's like that's been encoded into our heads at what Jessica does at the beginning of sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's supposed to indicate this colleague thing is more of a I don't want to call it a manipulation technique because that has a negative connotation, but a, a tactic um, to to get Amy to open up to say we're colleagues we're I'm I'm approaching you on your level not on authority level right. you know when it's when it's manipulation I approve of I prefer to call it leadership <laughs> so yes, Jessica's we've had, we've had this conversation before <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> so but but yeah no I, I love that I, I honestly I forgot I forgot that that was uh the way the way that Jessica uh opens up her conversations with patients. She's giving her the opportunity to define herself. That's fucking perfect, actually, because, like, she's giving Amy the opportunity, like, tell me who you are. Define yourself. Yeah. And Amy's like, I don't know. Amy, yeah, well, I guess. Right, like, Amy's immediate answer is to not answer the question literally, is uh-huh. to not say, well, here's who I think I am. It's to say, okay, who does she want me to say? Uh-huh. In who, who does she want me to be? To answer this question, which yeah. is just which is just game gamifying the conversation again. Right. It's not yeah. actually being truthful. It's not actually being honest. It's just trying to win. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. Fucking Amy. Yep. So um, I, I just enjoy this bit dropped in here where Amy's like, yeah, I could I could single handedly beat the machine army, but they won't let me. Yeah. Weird flex, Amy. But OK. Yeah. yeah right. Um, and then Amy confesses that she's dating who we can surmise is Bianca. <laughs> Well, that fucking explains a lot, doesn't uh-huh. it? Yeah. Holy shit. When I when I put that together, my my brain exploded. Uh-huh. Um, it, I mean, it makes you now understand kind of why why goddess was not using her power on Amy during that whole thing. It also kind of paints the way that went down as like really fucked up. Wait, like like re- somehow even more fucked up than it already was. Yeah. Yeah. Like she had her monster friend, Chris, kill her girlfriend and then like assumed her role of power. Uh-huh. It's like and fucking a amy and and somehow got out of this entirely like without feeling like she was responsible for any part of it yep 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 
Um, yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Stunning. <laughs> but she is bringing uh, this up as a, as in a way to explain this this feeling of numbness, right? Her work, her dating life, she feels nothing. She's unsatisfied. She's not happy. And like, look, man, like that happens sometimes. Like you just get depressed or you're going through some shit and like you just lose a little feeling like things don't you're not experiencing joy in the way you are before but like you do something about it right you, like you go see someone or you get medicated like yeah. you you react to it in a way and not just say well no the only thing the only thing that made me happy ever was victoria so that's that's the only thing right yeah i mean yes the cure for your anhedonia is not the thing that you imagine that it will be like that's never right. z- zero n- never actually how that works um you know and and i'm going to jump around between a couple a couple of different parts in the chapter here but like sure. i think it's interesting that she she has this narrative where like i've tried to date other people and 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 the one thing that she never talks about is like having friends she she only has her family who sucks and who she doesn't like and doesn't trust and doesn't get any real support from or at least doesn't feel any support from even if they're giving her support and then she has a few people she's tried to date which which have not been successful yeah but it seems like she's never had any friends mm-hmm. and that's like a huge problem sure right like like how are you what are you even doing trying to date people if you can't even have like a normal human friendship with another well, person? Matt, nobody leave friends with her. I mean, that's tr- true, but like... <laughs> no, I, I, it's not. I mean, it's it's true in the sense that in her mind, it like she's just going to like sit at home and say, why isn't anybody friends with me? Well, no it's one like, would be friends with her because she's a fucking drag, but like that's, that, that, that's because she refuses to... to do anything for herself right yeah yeah that's i I don't know this is something it's interesting because it's almost like i noticed it due to its absence sure the 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 absence of of just she has no friends but like i mean taylor was like the most um you know uh comically lonely person in the world and she had friends Mm -hmm. like she always had friends in all the different phases of her life it was important to her um victoria obviously does too well and i mean I, I think having friends, having an actual support system would go against her kind of victim complex, yeah. right? Because yeah, like, yeah. I don't have friends, and then the reason I don't have friends becomes part of my my victimhood. Um, it's, yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's fucking bullshit. Exactly. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Um, so I think my favorite, favorite, favorite bit of the whole chapter is um, when she talks about going to the birdcage, and Jessica says, Jessica says, going to the birdcage could have been a permanent transition. They shouldn't have let me. They shouldn't have let me demand to go there. She said, "Quiet." <laughs> you literally threatened to release a virus that would kill millions of people if they didn't let you go in the birdcage. And your response now is, "Well, they shouldn't have let me." I, I like. I like the, the the detail there, though. It's not they shouldn't have let me go there. They shouldn't have let me demand to go there. They should not have let me make a demand. <laughs> Like that is so absurd. The, yeah, the backflips are just so impressive. Yeah, that that that's why it's my favorite. Is it's just yeah. like you can't even 
say that out loud and not notice that it's <laughs> stupid. But, yeah, it's but she so manages stupid. it. Stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, and she, yeah, she is convinced that that is that that is right. Yeah. That like I, I, I just it's absurd. It's yeah. absurd. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth saying that like we're we're n- never never does this cross the line into being unbelievable. Like this yeah. is this is yeah. writing. This is fiction. Sure. We're saying it's absurd, but never does it cross that line into actually being absurd in the sense of triggering disbelief. You're just like, God, fuck her, you know? Right. But, but you 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 buy it. You're in the story. I think that's yeah. worth pointing out. Um, I, I do think this is an important moment to we've been we've been kind of jumping around. I, I think we've kind of slowly been coming to a realization that Amy um uh this isn't going to go the way we think, but this is really the moment for me that I, I fully come to real came to realize just how bad it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Because this is, this is such an absurd statement. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is such an insane, absurd thing to say that you're like, Oh, so this is, this is the way that's going to go. Okay. And then we, from here, we really dive into the truly reprehensible monstrous stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, eventually Amy can't stand the strain of, um, not talking about Victoria for five seconds <laughs> and pulls the conversation to that topic. And she talks about how dating Bianca is just not satisfying enough. And she just really, just really just needs to be with Victoria. And, and I love how this is presented because Jessica basically says, look, Victoria has decided that she doesn't want any contact with you. And if you care about her well-being as much as you say you do, you should do the same thing. You should maintain a similar distance and non-contact Amy's response is, you asked about my dating life earlier. As a colleague, I did. But as a colleague, I'm hoping you'll at least acknowledge what I said first. I, I will, but let me say my stuff first. Um, please note that she does not actually get back to acknowledging what Jessica said. Jessica forces her to, basically. She keeps bringing it up again and again until she forces Amy to acknowledge it, um, which is awful. Mm-hmm. But the gist here is, I'm numb. I don't feel anything. And the only way... The only way I'll ever not be numb is to be around Victoria again and nothing else. Nothing else in the world is going to make me happy. And it's not fair that I don't get to be happy. Ergo, I should get to be around Victoria. I should I should get be forgiven. I should get to be happy again. And and look, I, I think I think there should be a path to recovery for people where you might get to get to experience happiness again, um, even after you do truly terrible, reprehensive stuff. I think that's a true statement. But the the, the connection here is the only way that's going to happen is if I'm around this one person. I, I've made that decision. And because I know this is to be this to be true, everyone else better listen to me or else. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it's a weird um, there's a lot of double think throughout throughout every, uh, sure. pretty much everything about Amy where <laughs> it's it's almost like yeah that 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 or else is something where it's almost like she comes to the edge of saying it but instead of sh- saying that she goes on this uh lengthy thing about how do you know how bad I could be right and right. and she like it's a weird like like again like she's she's talking out of both sides of her mouth cuz she's not she's like oh I would never actually threaten you because that's that would be really bad, obviously. Even I can see that that would be bad for me to threaten you. Yep. But I'm definitely going to talk about how threatening I am. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is the same fucking thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sometimes I think she comes too close to just causing this whole internal house of cards to crumble, though, because like when she says right here, I don't want to take time 
Amy said, a little bit emotional now. I don't want I don't want to work from nine until nine every day. And I don't want to work from nine to five or nine until noon either with half my day or my evening spent on dates. Well, hey, Amy, I don't want to work from nine to five either. But like shit's tough. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We we all have (laughs) things that we don't want to have to do that we still have to do. I don't know. I'm not sure what why that's supposed to be a compelling argument. I mean, I mean, I get like I get the I get on an emotional level like I can I can inhabit my like toddler self and and feel resentment at the fact that I don't get everything that I want immediately. Sure, sure. But then I remember that I'm not a toddler. Yeah. So it's called being an adult yeah. where you realize that sometimes to get what you want, you might have to do things you don't particularly like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe we, and maybe you never get what you actually want. Maybe you get some things that you want. Sure. Maybe yeah, the maybe, things that you want are stupid. Yeah. Or maybe the things that you want, you can't get anymore because there are consequences to your actions. Yeah. Like you can be forgiven for the thing you did. And that doesn't mean you get to date your sister again. Or again, for at all. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. It's an absurd thing to think that that forgiveness in this mindset is being with my sister again. Like, no, that's not how that works. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, she's she's so screwed up, though. It's really incredible. Yeah. 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 So so here we come to some pretty important stuff uh, where she has an opportunity to address what she did to Victoria. And the text says. Amy tensed, fists balling up, tattoos tight around her bones. I wasn't me. I was fresh off having my fingers eaten, my home destroyed, my life overturned. Bonesaw tried to break me. She tried to break Mark. I wasn't me. Victoria wasn't Victoria. Jessica didn't interject. What we did together doesn't count. Amy's words were more a plea than a statement. Not when we weren't ourselves. This is this is the moment, Matt. This uh-huh. is the the point of no return. Absolutely throw my if I if I was reading this in a book, I'd throw the book across the room. What we did together. Uh-huh. What we did together. Uh-huh. Fuck off. Fuck off. Uh-huh. Fuck off. I it's such it's such a wonderfully constructed, terrible awful thing to say and not just say but it just it's just a perfect window into like oh this is what she tells herself this is this is her story yeah yeah she absolutely believes this fundamentally i love that amy's words were a plea like i think a part of her knows this is bullshit yeah right like a part of her recognizes that this is total bullshit but she can't accept it it's it's too ingrained within how she is allowing herself to survive how she is dealing with with what she did um, that that she's built this narrative. And if that comes crumbling down, she loses everything. So she's desperate, not only desperate to believe it herself, but desperate for other people to tell her she's right. Tell her that, yes, you are right. That, that this didn't count. It didn't count. You're right. Uh, You, you weren't yourself. You went through this horrible stuff and look, she did go through some shitty stuff, right? Like, like everything she's saying here, Bonesaw did try to break her and Mark, Bonesaw, she did have her fingers eaten, her home destroyed, her life overturned. That's all true. It doesn't excuse what you did and it doesn't remove you from responsibility. Yeah. I think before the end of this conversation, we're going to dip into this idea of good person, bad person. Yeah. This this framework. And, And this is, I think, one of those examples where she just cannot abide any stain on her kind of self image of I am a good person. Mm-hmm. And if there is something that she has that she has done, some some bit of like evidence in the world that contradicts the I am a good person narrative, then she has to 
do whatever gymnastics necessary to to transmute that into something that just doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean what everyone says yep. it means. It's not that doesn't count. She literally says doesn't count. Yeah. So I could not believe that. Yeah. Like, I thought she was going to rationalize it away in, in, a, in an unspoken kind of way. But to have her literally say what she did doesn't count is yeah. was the most shocking moment in this chapter for me. Like, yeah. I, I I did not think even she was that that had that lack of self-awareness to literally say the words. It didn't count mm-hmm. and and believe it. Fuck yeah, off. Right. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Jessica is able to tolerate this. Yeah, I mean, she's just like listening silently. I love kind of imagining what Jessica's going through in this moment because, like, it's got to be like, oh, oh, uh, oh fuck, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is worse than I thought. Right. Um, I, I wonder. Like, I don't think we ever specifically see Jessica's response to this conversation, no. or like, or the actions she takes. And I wonder what those are. Yeah. No, I I think we do not um see what action she. I mean, I, I almost think that she just keeps her word and she does very little in response to this because yeah. Because really, it's not like Amy threatened anything or like all she did was demonstrate herself to be terrible. She kind of beats Jessica into silence almost yeah, by the end of this conversation, which yeah. is like the most depressing part about it. It's true. So Jessica's response to this little dodge is basically say you you can solve your crippling loneliness by reaching out to the people in your life who care about you and maybe working on making some other relationships with other humans and you can also deal with your other obvious problems that are very apparent with therapy. And Amy's response is to be offended that Jessica thinks she's crazy. You gotta, you gotta feel for Jessica in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> like she's not my favorite person in the story. She's made some mistakes that we've talked about in the past, but she's really trying here. Yeah. And it's just she's not listening at all. And this fucking this therapy is for crazy people and I'm not crazy. This is the most like dated boomer bullshit (laughs) nonsense I've ever heard. It's stupid. It's just stupid and, and objectively wrong. And I don't even know where she got that. Like, is that, is, is that a, I mean, it doesn't matter where she got it, but is that a Carolism? I don't think so. I guess it kind of is because Carol kind of rejected therapy. Yeah, I think so. I think Carol views all of that as crossing some of her idiosyncratic, boundaries of being totally in control all the time yeah. she can't she can't admit that anyone else can uh, can tell her what to do so yeah i think yeah. i think that's probably it but again you know sins of the father mother like uh-huh. victoria has gotten over that yeah right yeah i mean <laughs> through through a circuitous route of being true, in true. asylum true. for a while but yeah yeah she, she totally has credit where credit is due mm-hmm. um yeah. The, I want to talk about this the swear moment though. Yeah. I think this is really important. Yeah. Because Amy is basically saying, I'm not crazy, really. I'm lonely. I had a bad day years ago. I freaked out and I wasn't myself for a while. Now nobody's willing to forgive me, even people I don't know. And the most fucked up thing about it excuse me, I shouldn't swear in here. Um I like this is this is really interesting. Because mm-hmm. I mean, not only is this a fun connection to Riley, who she's been spending a lot of time with, so maybe the the no swearing thing has has caught on a little bit but it's also like to me a good demonstration of amy's really fucked up understanding of appropriate and inappropriate Uh in a kind of childish way where swear words bad um not taking responsibility for the rape you did fine 
fine thing to say in this place, but, but dirty word, bad. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just like this really fucked up, horrible way of viewing things. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I see that as being part of the good person, bad person thing where it's like, sure. Oh no, no, no. I, if I, if I speak in a way that is uncouth or, or, or reveals a lack of, of inner control, people are going to think that I fall into that terrible bad person category. Yeah. And yeah. so I need to make sure that, you know, it, it's a, it, it, it's the same instinct toward managing how she's being perceived. I think. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. So from this, from about this point till pretty much the, <laughs> the end of the conversation, Amy keeps hitting this inner refrain that Jessica isn't listening to her because Jessica isn't agreeing with her. And at one point, Jessica says, I believe you, which wins a ton of points with Amy. I mean, it kind of does. Her response to it is, is people should be saying this to me more, <laughs> True. <laughs> which is kind of fucked up in its own way. Yeah, I, I really like the, how the, the, the conversation here like takes a segue to talking about heroes where Amy has this this opinion about about people that are heroes, not just the people with the wear capes, doctors, nurses, therapists, uh, even people without powers. They are heroes as well. And it kind of lulls you into this false sense of, oh, OK, because I think I, I agree with that. I agree that there there are people that should be called heroes out there that are just regular people doing their job, trying to help people. And we should call them heroes. And I'm like, Amy, you're right about something. And then she goes, you'd think heroes, powers or not, would be more forgiving. And you're just like, fuck, <laughs> <laughs> you were so close. Yeah. You were so close yeah. to something. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe she's not 100 percent garbage. Oh, yeah, there, there it is. Yeah. And, and, and And look. This idea of forgiveness, we've talked so much about forgiveness already in this book, and I'm sure we're going to have so much more to say about it before this thing is over. But this opinion that no one is forgiving her for what she did did is absurd, because here's the thing. Everybody's forgiven her except for one person. Her parents are inviting her to a barbecue. She's in Warden's headquarters right now helping them, right? Like she is responsible for she's been given a lot of responsibility. She's not in jail um, she, she, society has basically said, okay, okay. Yeah. There's one person who hasn't forgiven her one person. And, and that's the only person that matters to her. So just because Victoria is still processing and still dealing with the things and has not reached a point of forgiveness and, and might never, um, that means that nobody is forgiving her. And it's, it's just absurd. It's just absurd to me. Like society has said, you did a bad thing. Okay. We're moving on. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to move on. And like, what, what more do you want? Well, and, and of course the thing is, I want, I want Victoria yeah. well, to say, I forgive you. And not only that, I think she wants them to not just say, um, we're giving you a second chance. She wants them to say, actually we were wrong and what you did wasn't bad. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Cause like she knows, she knows that her family like judges her. Mm-hmm. But they're giving her the full second chance. They're they're they want her around. They want her to be part of their lives. But they think it's kind of fucked up what she did. She wants them to literally think that what she did was fine because she that's can't not, stand for people to not think well of her. Yeah. And that's not forgiveness. That's not what forgiveness yeah. is. Yeah. At all. No. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. In fact, part of that is is recognizing that the thing was bad. That is that is key step one in in forgiveness. Yeah, in earning it and giving yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, she really 
really wants to talk about Victoria. And because Jessica <laughs> refuses to converse about it, Amy just monologues at her about it. So first she explains how fucked up the Dallins are, which she's not wrong about. Nope. She put massive pressure on both her and Victoria, um, which even Victoria rarely really kind of looks at directly, except, except I mean, I think this arc is one of the few where she's thought explicitly about her mom yeah. a lot. Yeah. Oh, also Gallant is just super bad for her, apparently. Yeah, and, and I mean, like you said, a lot of this is, is right. Um, I'm not sure I agree with the she never actually loved Gallant thing. Um, I, I am willing to bet that their relationship was a whole lot more complicated than Victoria let's on, but we've had that conversation many times before, but, but a lot of these things are true. And that doesn't like, the thing is Amy has constructed this narrative, right? That like Victoria is the way she is because of Carol. It's all Carol's fault. And, and it is absolutely true that a lot of what Victoria is suffering through is because of Carol, but Amy, you're leaving off a person (laughs) that did a thing. Uh Uh-huh. And it was a really bad thing, and it really affected her. Yeah, it's like, yeah, this is all Carol's doing. It's Carol's fault that she's this way, and and of course, as you said, it, it ties into this understanding of her that that it, it, this is all this is I we are we weren't the ones that actually did this. I didn't do this. I didn't do it to Victoria. That wasn't Victoria. That wasn't me. And the reason it, it was because of Carol. The reason was because of Bonesaw. The reason was because of Mark. Um, over and over again, it's these other people, other people doing these other things. Um. So when when building a narrative about who her sister is and what her sister is going through, what she did can't enter into that equation at all because it was not us. It was them. Mm-hmm. It was them. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it. She she's uh, could have said it better. Right. Like she's she's giving she's giving Jessica this like cross section of, of all, all the influence in Victoria's life and acting like she wasn't one of those. Yeah. Like she wasn't this massive enabler even before the horrible stuff she did. She was this massive enabling force yeah. in, in Victoria's life, pushing her, you know, permitting her to be to be the, the violent glory girl. Right. Yeah. Um, and she has the audacity, the audacity to talk about Victoria and say she's stagnant. She's not growing. And it's because of this anger she's carrying and she needs to do better and needs to focus on better things and, and, and do and be a hero, not and not for anger or revenge, but for other things. And I'm like, you fuck like Uh pot kettle yeah and i like look some of that is true like it is absolutely true that that uh that victoria for a long time was kind of stuck and she's trying to work towards it but like the idea that you amy can dictate the proper behavior for victoria dallin is absurd yeah right i mean like you yeah pot kettle she's a complete lack of self-awareness and The lack of understanding that like, hey, you can get better without getting this one thing that you're fixated on and, and, and mm-hmm. obsessed with. I mean, I think it's it's literal obsession. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think this, you know, we can revisit this idea that she has this particular line that she goes back to over and over again. I'm a good person. Look at all the good stuff I do. Also, if I were a bad person, look at all the bad things I could do. <laughs> but I refrain from doing those things. Therefore, logically... I'm a good person, QED. Uh, and, and, and <laughs> like, it is crucial to her to maintain and, and defend this good person, bad person. It's, it's like yeah. it's this magic yeah. talisman that she uses to ward off any feelings of guilt or inadequacy or failure whatsoever. 
Yeah, I think Victoria talked about that Amy sometimes latches onto things mm-hmm. and she latches onto ideals and she'll just repeat them over and over again to hold on to that. And that is absolutely what she's doing here with this concept of good person, bad person, this this purely black and white uh, binary existence where if not bad, must be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just yeah. nonsense. It's, right. It's, it's interesting to watch, to, to step back from this conversation and watch how she kind of pirouettes around being pinned down and reflect on how Victoria uh, back when they were confronting each other on, on Sheen was like, you you have to, you have to nail her to the ground, you know, r- rhetorically and, and, and hammer her on this, on the points where she's weak over and over until she yeah. can't like dodge out of seeing the truth of it. And Jessica can't do that here because number one, this isn't even a real therapy session. And even if it were, uh, yeah, I mean, just it, it, it's just not a context where Jessica can really hammer her on anything. She would just leave. So, um, yeah. 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 And I mean, like, I think the, the fascinating thing about this conversation and how it's written is kind of this idea that I think from Amy's mind, like there are two people playing chess against each other and Amy is just like dominating but I don't think Jessica I don't think Jessica's trying to do that much manipulation, especially at this point in the conversation where she's really just stopped saying anything. Right. And it's just giving Amy the the rope to hang herself on. Like yeah. Amy's just continually making this worse and worse and worse. And Jessica's just like being silent or or just saying, well, no, not not like that. Um, or just like just not even really like there's no chess going on here. It's just Jessica listening mm-hmm. and allowing Amy to, to dig her hole. Yeah, absolutely. It's terrible. Yep. I love, I love, but, but we're, we're reaching the end of the conversation. Right. Yeah. And, and Jessica now having listened to all this is like her last big pitch where she's like, please correct me if I'm wrong on any of these points. There's no color in your life. Your days are rote and directionless. You have no connection. You have connections to family, but you consider yourself alone and you want this connection to Victoria very, very much. That's what I said. It seems like a recipe for problems. No, listen, it's cherry picked from what I said, but it's absolutely missing the heart of what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what 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 i'm trying to say is she owes me love yeah yeah um and yeah and then if and then follow following that she uh, uh jessica tries to get her to say hey will you at least tell me that you'll stay away from her and she's like yeah but um i'm totally gonna say goodbye to her if i have to so yeah like so no yeah yes but if she calls i'll go to her and i reserve the right to say goodbye what does that mean what is like what what do you mean you reserve like as if you have the authority to to grant yourself that right right what are you talking about like yes i'll stay away from her until it comes time for me to say goodbye and then i definitely won't which of course we know is exactly what happens she and and she fucking gets her all goddess because of that bullshit yeah um I do love the weasel language of saying I, I reserve the right because it's it's like well you you don't you, you don't have it you can't <laughs> yeah, reserve you it yeah that's <laughs> how that works yes I'd you, like to reserve that library right. book what, what, no what you're saying is you're going to violate the boundary yeah if if X condition is met okay well yeah. good to know that I guess yeah and and X condition is entirely in my hands yeah like it's not right like if she calls I'll go to her is at least like you can say. Okay, I'll wait till she contacts me. But but then the second one is and and whenever I feel like it, I'm going to decide to do it anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Yep. And then and then she wraps up this really nice conversation uh, using the invasive insights gleaned from her power 
to broadside Jessica's mental state in a way that makes her tear up and probably sets into motion a chain of events that lead to her life being destroyed. Um, yep. This is all framed as being from a place of compassion, but uh, yeah, and 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 pardon my my connection tissue here, but she is she is violating her. Yeah. She is she is raping her in a way, and and Jessica is saying like she's basically saying no like yeah. like i consider this a violation stop stop what you're doing what you did was wrong and continuing to bring this out is wrong and she's not listening it's i mean like like this idea that i did this one terrible thing a, a couple of years ago i had one bad day and did a thing you're doing it you're doing it in a different way right now you are violating this person's privacy you are violating violating the the inner workings of this person and she is telling you to stop and you are not listening yeah. You are not listening. It's just an, an incredible lack of empathy. Yeah. Yeah. It it is and it it is like you said it is not outright threatening, but it is also using a kind of passive language that comes off as threats. So it's like she's not saying that you I I can consider this a warning, Jessica is what she's saying. You're going to break. Consider this a warning. And she yeah, it's such double speak language. It's so awful and terrible and mean. It it is truly reprehensible like everything she said in this conversation is bad but it's been bad in like a very like like not um, not direct way like she's not saying this stuff to victoria she's just yeah. thinking it out loud but this is when she's actually taking direct action against another human being in a in a horribly cruel way i hate it yeah Right. I, I mean, I remember one one of the previous times where we had an Amy heavy uh, discussion. I, I was like, oh, she she's dumb. Her problem is she's dumb. And I'm like now I'm like, well, no, mm. not really. Yeah, not, that, that's a, that's that's giving her too much credit. Actually, she's yeah. she's very deliberate in her in her um kind of double thinking manipulativeness and and very intelligent even in in her in her mental gymnastics yeah that she, the, the, the degrees she'll go to to avoid having to look her actions in the face sure will yeah yeah that's it. and she she leaves the section acknowledging that she didn't much feel like a good person which yeah. is like the closest she gets to any kind of actual realization but <laughs> yeah, true. not that it'll stop her actions at all of course right yeah for for she felt bad for like two minutes and then she figured out a way out of that yeah. So we skip to now with Amy trying yet again to restore Hunter's condition. It's delicate work and Marquis is there to be completely unhelpful. He leaves <laughs> and Mark comes over to add his pile of neuroses to what's going on. Um, it's actually hard to put my finger on like why Mark's interaction here feels so off. I, I think it's because he's like dragging Amy through this painful childhood memory that she clearly finds upsetting and he just finds funny. Um, and then he like mentions Victoria 17 times without prompting. <laughs> and it's like, what, what's with this fucking moron? Like he, he, he's less helpful than Marquis is in this, in this situation. Yeah. I think he feels like just entirely clueless to me. Like, yeah. I, it feels like he's just this person that's kind of in this state of shock. Like he, and disbelief about what's going down. Like he's focusing on these memories of Amy that he, he sees as good memories um, he probably doesn't have very many Amy memories because he doesn't seem a person who is that involved in parenting at all, let alone with the kid that they really didn't like. Um, 
so he's just reliving these memories and is completely ignorant to the fact that they're hurting her because she only interprets the negative. Like he's just saying, oh, this one time, this like this one funny time when you cried when I took got your haircut, which is something I think like. I don't know. I have conversations with my parents where they talk about, yeah, there was this one time where you were a little shit. And my interpretation is not, I get it. I'm terrible. Right. It's just like, oh, yeah, wasn't that funny when I was a kid. Um, but of course, Amy takes the worst possible one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. I, I do think like there is a, an interpretation here where we see that he's been trying to get her to agree to fix his brain and she keeps telling him no. And maybe there's like this this specific attempt to highlight how incredible she is like in this moment like he says victoria was a terror you were the you were the good one mm-hmm. um and she says you're buttering me up but uh maybe there is truth to that i don't know yeah maybe it there's seem, it does seem weird it, it's just weird that he'd bring up victoria like like with her it just it like you said indicates that he just has no idea what's going on and has just been completely blind to all of the shit that's gone on between the yeah. two of them yeah yeah um I do think it's interesting and I want to kind of focus back on setting again because we had this wonderful setting in the last conversation where we talked about, you know, twilight or, or early morning and this chance of going good or bad. And then I think the end of that conversation was absolutely going bad. The, 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 the helping hand that Jessica offered was soundly rejected and she's heading down this path of darkness and terribleness. And so we cut from the scene of, of, the light about to change. There's these giant statues of these huge heroes, like some of the most heroic people that ever existed. And now in scene number two, she's in this dark room operating on this people and who she's surrounded by Chris Marquis dot. Who's all people like joking around and talking about death and, and casually as if they have no moral compass. Uh, Mark who, who seems to be sticking, who's not even aware of what's going on is maybe just sticking around because he's hoping for a little bit of that Amy brain magic. Um, and, and so like we've moved from this place, this place of, of, uh, maybe the representative of, of heroism into the extreme to, to hear, um, and, so so that was a moment of of deciding that was a deciding moment a moment of choice amy made that choice now we move to now and this is where she is and yeah hooray right this is one of the things that that kind of highlighted for me that idea that she has no friends because she's she's surrounded by people right she's not alone yeah it's just that all these people suck and like she doesn't see them as supporting her even though she has two fathers here she basically has to it's like like they're just annoying distractions and and they're genuinely not being helpful like it's not even it's not even her being uh dumb that that makes her think they suck they actually just suck they're they're not helping yeah and at all. then she's yeah. got her shoulder devil uh <laughs> and then she's got chris who's just his whole own bag of garbage uh and and so yeah it's it's where where's your friends amy why yeah so yeah um, you, you rejected the person that genuinely cared about you, uh, to surround yourself with these people. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right, Good job. Right. Um, one of the things I, I noticed that stuck out of me on a second read of the section is there's this quick double beat between these two sections of Amy talking about how the stakes are higher. Um, in the, in the first she uses, she's about to walk into the conversation with Jessica and she says this, she says this wasn't quite like usual. The stakes were higher. Um, so she's labeling that conversation as higher stakes. Then she says it again here when operating on Hunter with her father around, knowing the parallels to Victoria, she said no. And he wasn't happy about it. He was less happy about Hunter given the parallels to Victoria's, 
which meant the stakes were higher. And it seems like she's constructing this this image in which the stakes are always higher um, and, and therefore it requires her to like be on her game in a way that is specifically horrible. <laughs> I, I just found that that yeah. that double beat of that interesting. Well, especially when it's Victoria adjacent, like like anything Victoria, sure. like the stakes, the stakes here are uh, Victoria's going to think ill of me if I fuck this up and yep. and she's going to forgive me and be with me if I do a really good job on this is the, the story she tells herself. Yep. Yep. Um, so her, I like that stakes equal Victoria. So the only time there are actual stakes in anything is when it's dealing with Victoria. And that kind of shows how she makes her choices. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I mean, nothing means terrible. anything to her except for that, which. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if, if we can cultivate any pity for her, it's like the idea that you're so obsessed with someone that you literally don't care about anything else that that sucks like that. That would suck to be in that state. Sure. Sure. Uh, if you find yourself in that state try to get out of it don't try to get that person that's th- yeah th- th- that's the wrong move but yeah. totally yeah. <laughs> yeah no i i i agree with you though that that idea that 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 would be awful yeah awful so her healing of hunter fails and she goes all mince made almost <laughs> skewering amy uh, at least mark can be useful in saving her from actual death hooray thanks mark glad you saved amy <laughs> good job buddy yeah <laughs> But I mean, I think the important thing here is that we see her attempts to heal Hunter, to fix Hunter, are not working, right? Um, she, she's still not acting like herself. This preoccupation with masks that we see have Hunter talk about seems to indicate that that shard bleed through. Um, and, and Amy is not fixing her. And she admits in this moment, I might not be able to do it, which is very different from what she pledged to Victoria, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, remember in the good old days when she agreed to give it like one last attempt and then come to earth Gimmel and submit herself to the authorities in exchange for like a conversation member. I'm when sure she did she, that. She doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the good old days. Oh man. No, I, I literally forgot she agreed to that because it's so <laughs> far from her mind and absolutely yeah. not something that she would ever do. Doesn't even think about it. Yeah. It doesn't count. Right. That didn't count. I mean, it's, I mean, it's even at the time, I wonder if there was any part of her that believed that or if it was just like, yeah, yeah, what, whatever I have to say here, more words, yeah. more words out yeah. of my mouth to make you. Absolutely. You, yeah. Because, it's, I mean, I think she totally did because she thought that as soon as I get I say these words out of my mouth, she'll understand uh-huh. and that won't be necessary anymore. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I'll just go fix Hunter, which will be easy because yep. I, I think she may have actually believed that. I think she's yeah, yeah she's still not clued into the fact that her power hates restoring things and only <laughs> yeah. likes making new things. Yep. That's kind of how I view it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So we learn um, from Chris, that teacher is out of the running. His thralls are all released. Breakthrough is in whatever that means. <laughs> Chris wants to use this to justify accelerating his plans for his production facility. And she concedes. Yeah, but she she concedes acknowledging that this doesn't seem like the move a good person would make. Right. Yeah. She's she's built up this narrative, this good person, bad person narrative and says this is not a move that a good person would make. But then she does it anyway. And she's talking about how this whole goal of hers is to preserve the good and healthy parts of humanity. But she admits that she's not even sure she believes that she knows what those concepts mean anymore. But she 
does it anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, we know her. We know that that she's going to do it anyway. And then she's going to find a way in which it was sure. a move a good person would have made, even if it results in terrible consequences. Uh, uh, Chris shouldn't have uh, pushed her. Chris shouldn't have right. put all that pressure on her. And yeah. um, it's not her fault. You know, yeah. it's really interesting to contrast this good person, bad person kind of mantra, if you will. Um, okay, that's not really what it is, but it, it's <laughs> it's a framing. And it, I, I like to contrast it with Victoria's way of navigating morality because she also needs her own system to help her figure out how to make the right choice. Sure. And Amy sort of, she didn't really, as far as we know, choose this system this is just how she sees the world um and it does it isn't serving her obviously uh so it's just an interesting contrast between the two characters they each have their own way of navigating moral questions it's just that amy's is terrible yeah yeah so uh, as we conclude this whole thing i want to talk about how like when i first read this chapter i didn't like that we have kind of this this now coda on the chapter Mm -hmm. um I I know that 16.z is another Amy chapter. Like I'm plugged into the fan base enough to know I haven't read it, but I know it is another Amy chapter. And I thought it would be really good structurally to see months ago in one chapter and now in a second chapter. But the more I thought about it, the more I like this, because I think at the beginning of this chapter in, in months ago, there was still hope for Amy. Right. Um, Even with all her externalizing, even with all her failing to acknowledge what she did and failure to take responsibility for it and and all these things that she's put in in the way of her progress, there was still hope. There there was an olive branch. There was a hand reached out by Jessica there. And if she had just grabbed it in that moment, that there was a chance forward for her. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that was there. And we see in that that is rejected. Then we move to now and we see the end of the road that she chose the end of the, the she chose she rejected the help and she went down this road and now here at the end of this road in the now she's she's talking about good and bad people she's admitting that she doesn't even have a good understanding of what good and healthy mean anymore but she's still making decisions based off of that that idea um, and they're bad decisions they're wrong decisions and so at the end of this chapter, it seems like there's nothing left in Amy anymore. There's nothing left in Amy but the bad person, but the monster. And, and so this idea that why was this journey? We saw the person who maybe had some hope. Here's in the now. There's no more hope. And now in chapter Z, we get to see what exactly this monster is capable of. And that's the, what I think the structure is going to be. And with that in mind, I love this coda now. I love that we jumped forward to now just so we can cap this one chapter of maybe possibly hope off with nope, none. Sorry. Um, now let's see how 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 bad it's going to get. Yeah, I like that framing. Awesome. Can't wait to see. Can't wait to talk yeah, about the next well, chapter. You've read it already. Of course I, I have. You. Of course yeah. I have, Scott. Um, all right. That wraps up. These three chapters. Uh, no discussion question this week because we are going to be doing another three chapter next week. Yeah, we're just not going to have time. Yeah, uh, yeah. We this chapter went really over, and next is going to go over as well. So, uh, yeah, no discussion question. Yeah. There will be a new one next week, though. You know, so. Yeah, but just feel free to discuss. You know, reply to things that we have said in the thread, and we can just mm-hmm. talk about that. And yeah, so that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at 
gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. I will start doing live readings again this week. We did, I did one for Y, but I didn't do one for the other channels, but I'll start doing those again. And of course, my personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at Mordina. Amy did nothing wrong. God. I can't believe that's your Twitter, Matt. That's Jesus. Thank, thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, pretty much anywhere else podcasts can be found. And of course, you can find this and all the shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find this month's edition of The Book Club, in which Matt and Elliot talked about The Black Company. I didn't get to participate in that one because I was sleeping. But it was recovering a, from my film festival. It was a good conversation. We figured out some stuff. Uh, it was a really interesting book. Um, it's doing a lot of interesting things, and I enjoyed that conversation. So check that out. Also, I was on the last episode. No, not, not the last episode. I was on the L- two weeks two weeks ago. ago episode of Do the Right Thing. The writing. I listened to that podcast. It, I listened to that in between uh, movies at the film festival. Oh, thank you. It was a good story, Matt. I appreciate well that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what's been going on. Um, and yeah, cool. So if you like any of these shows and you want to support them, please consider donating at patreon.com slash doof media. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Uh, supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contest, like the vote that's about to open up for this fan art contest that's been ongoing right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. the costume contest, which is... It's about to start. About to start. Yeah, it's October. It's October <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> hangout sessions uh, with with us uh, monthly. Uh, we had a really big hangout session la, 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 recently. Um, uh, where uh, two Fridays ago, we had yeah. we had the Media MD guys. We had the uh, Do the Right Thing guys, and we had Michael um, all hanging out, having a big debate about important topics. We solved. Uh, we solved all the world's problems, actually, in that conversation. Um, and in order to hear that conversation, we just need a $5 donation. So, um, ex- Yeah, and I couldn't attend that one either, but I did listen to some of this talk about anime. And uh, wrong, wrong. Uh, well, you know, next time maybe you can, you can say your piece. But uh, right now, <laughs> you didn't get to. So, <laughs> And, of course, while you're over there on Patreon, make sure you donate to Wildo at patreon.com slash Wildo. Uh, this is his world. This is his crystal red landscape. Uh, we are just trapped in it like echoes. At least we'll wake up soon. Yeah, I, will we? Um, so yeah, we, we've got a bunch of, of new members of the Doof community this week. We've got Bidoof's Cecilia H, Elize295, Bruce A, and Brady D. We've got new Doof dancers, Kyrgyzstan, Sophia, Eric, Tim the Enchanter, Ryan Richardson, We've got Doof Troop members Mike, Stephen Z, and Koalas DLP. And new Supreme Leader Doof Daniel K. Wow, that's a lot of people. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, we we asked you guys if you could get us over the hump of our next goal uh, while I was away. And, uh, God, you did it a, a lot. Wow, yeah. thank you so much. We definitely hit our goal. So uh, we didn't announce this at the beginning, but we'll announce it right here. Our podcast, uh, deep, Diving Deep into Stephen King's The Dark Tower, is going to happen. Um, we are doing that now. We That show is in, uh, I'll generously call it in pre-production. Sure. <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff I have to do behind the scenes. Um, basically, I have to reread all the books, too, uh, just to make sure I'm, so I can guide Matt through them 
expertly. I think I'm just going to reread them one at a time, though. Yeah. I think I'm going to reread the first one, and then you and I are going to start with it. So um, we are going to start that up as soon as possible. It, it is going to be a little bit of a wait as we do stuff behind the scenes and, and find a way to have time to record that every week. But it is happening for sure now. We've hit the goal. It is happening for sure. So if you guys want to um, hear about news on that when that's starting what's going down you can follow us on twitter like we said uh, subscribe to any of our podcasts i'm sure we'll talk about that when we release it subscribe to us on youtube so you can see it there um, that's the way the as of yet of, of yet unnamed dark tower podcast happening very excited about that thank you guys so much yeah i can't wait to be the scott for once yeah and i'm gonna be the matt and everyone's going to be like, whoa, look at Matt, Scott. I almost called myself Matt. Look at Scott keeping that straight face as Matt makes predictions. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, man, I'm going to be so good at making predictions because that's yeah. how this is that's yeah. just natural. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cool. All right, good. So thank you so much for all of you that made that happen, each and every one of you. Y'all are amazing. Uh, and, of course, you know, if, if you can't afford to donate right now, you guys are still amazing, too. Uh, there are tons of ways you amazing people can help us out. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave us a rating and a review. You can share the podcast. Um, there's tons of different things you can do to help us out. And we appreciate all you do. I mean, just downloading and listening is helping us out. So we thank you guys for doing that. It's true. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks. That's all we got for you on the show this week. Next week, we'll be back with uh, part two of the Amy Sucks Tour, as well as two chapters, uh, maybe, of the next arc. Wow. Wow. What's the name going to be? Um, uh, uh, light. It's great. Sh- shiny. Shiny. Shiny.